0: This show is distributed by Sun Welcome!
1: Welcome to episode 204 of Texing, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. On today's show, myself and Jason, once again, we're in the same room, and uh, since he's arrived this morning, he hasn't actually allowed us to talk about anything because he doesn't want us to waste any material.
0: You're you're, you're a a content sieve.
1: You do all the interesting talk right before the show, so I have to refuse to communicate with you. Well, it's just weird to just have you just stonewall me, just walk in the morning and just completely stonewall me.
0: Like, hey, what's new? I'm not I going to tell you what's new <laughs> unless the record <laughs> button's on. Uh, hit, hit. Okay, well, what's new? Now tell me. Uh, yeah, so the reason that um, I had to, I couldn't let you know whether we were going to do a show this morning Yeah. is I was waiting to find out whether Colby had a soccer game. Huh. And the reason that was a last-minute call was that we uh, we decided to pull Colby out of club soccer. You've heard me talk about the club soccer thing. Yeah,
1: you pulled him out of it because what was your
0: reason again? Well, he just he just wasn't um, feeling it. You know, he just yeah. was kind of you know he he's been just not into it for a while. Yeah, I mean, I mean for a while, I mean for the last I don't know nine months or so, he's just been kind of you know. And I think the thing is, is that things like club soccer or other activities that are like year round and kind of involved, like gymnastics, or whatever, things that they expect sort of a year-round commitment in. Yeah. It's tough to put that on a young kid, you know, a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old, right? I mean, yeah. kinda, they just want to yeah. kind of mess around. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, though, <clears throat> is that the way the world works now, at least in the U.S., is that all
1: these kids are specializing really early. Yeah, like so, nine or seven yeah. or something. That's, that's that's outrageous. So what happens is is that when when you
0: consciously decide not – to uh not to specialize you're essentially pulling yourself out of the race and you know it's tough to compete right it's tough to say well you know we're not going to put our kid in gymnastics until she's 12 it's like well (laughs) you really got no shot so so you think
1: so that's the same that's happened with colby now it's possible i
0: mean right i mean i'm sure people listening are like this sounds ridiculous a seven (laughs) you know he's well he's going to be eight at the end of the month right
1: so the, his football career is over.
0: No, no, it, it starts at it starts at age. Uh, it actually starts next year. This is like one more year of like pre club. They like, call like kind of proto club. Yeah, yeah. And but he's been playing with this this group for about a year and a half. And all these kids are really serious. And the kid that you know, it's but he really, was
1: already ahead of those guys. I thought. I thought he was the best in the team. Well, that's the way you used to tell it. No,
0: he was the best in the AYSO league, which is like the recreational oh rig. so okay. you have like 20 or 30 or
1: whatever teams
0: and okay you know it's a range of kids who are completely unathletic to kids who are very athletic right and colby was one of the you know one or two one of the top, top ones kids. but this is the actual club club team so each of these kids is like the you know the best in like their city practically all, all these see. little cities the best kid from arcadia the best kid from so, so how does
1: he compare on that team
0: he's Middle, middle. He's uh, he's middle average. You know, yeah. Okay. Basically, because he just kind of doesn't care that much. Yeah. He just has been kind of like dragging ass and kind of complaining about things, and it's just really frustrating to deal with that as a parent, right? Your kid's like, eh, I'm <laughs> tired, or I don't really want to go to practice, so they just don't really want to try, right? So, but as
1: a parent, you can't you can't force a kid. Yeah, you can't force a kid to do what you like. You know, if he doesn't have a passion for it, he doesn't have a passion for it. Just right. But on the other
0: side of the coin, which you have to at least think about a little bit when it's your kid, is kids will make sort of uh, bra- rash decisions. Like, I don't want to... Like I'm gonna. I don't like really pl- going to practice this week, so I quit forever. Yeah, yeah. And you, I, I don't know how many people I've talked to in my life, but I've heard that story over and over and over again. But they just quit something randomly because for week or a month or a season they just kind of weren't into it they yeah. wanted to do something else and then they really look back and regret it you know whatever it was whether it was music or sports or, or whatever you know they're just like man I was really good and I I, I just quit for no reason and yeah. now now I'm getting back into it but I'm not even close I could have been a professional I could have been at a national level but now I'm just kind of
1: barely yeah. at a competent level so um so, so what so going back to the story about today like why was today a special day about whether he was gonna play or not?
0: Yeah, so I sent an email to uh his coach and to the to the coach who sort of oversees all the younger teams. And I told him I said, look, I think we're gonna pull Colby out because he's just been he's not been wanting to go. He's been asking me the last few weeks, Ah, Dad, can I quit? I don't really want to wanna do Golden State anymore. Oh, he's been saying that. Yeah, wow. I just kind of and, and and um you know, we've been kinda of, sandy and I've been kind of trying to convince him to just oh, we just keep going I mean you know you have fun yeah just, give it a try yeah just, when he's
1: there he enjoys it
0: he doesn't sort of. really want to do practice he
1: likes the he just wants to play he doesn't want to practice which is understandable right I mean what do you want to do when you're seven actually what do you want to do now you don't want to practice just want to play well maybe he could just be one of those you know like you the way you just go down to the basketball court and just just chill out and play you yeah. can do that with with soccer.
0: Well, in the end, we all, we all end up there anyway at some point or another. <laughs> Even yeah. if you're a pro, at some point or another, you're just doing it for fun or just yeah. exercise. Yeah. But I was actually thinking about this as I was walking up to your uh, place is that, you know, when a kid gives up something that they have a lot of potential in and you've already put a fair amount of time and energy into it. And their coaches are really excited and uh, enthusiastic about what they're going to do. And, and then they just have to quit. It's just like someone died. It's just depressing. It's, it's actually the
1: opposite of sunk cost fallacy. The exact opposite. What do you mean? Well, because with the sunk cost fallacy, you spend, you've spent years working on something. And basically, you have a bias thinking, oh, I've put so much into it. I should continue. This is the other way around. He's put stuff into this. And actually, there's, there's so much value that if he kept on going, he could be really good.
0: That's true. and, and But I and guess maybe part of the reason that we feel sad about it is because of the sunk cost. Well, you know, it's not just the sunk cost. I don't really care how much time we put into it. It's just feel like, yeah, you know, you're getting off, you know, the fast track. And it's going to be hard if he comes back in two or three years and says, oh, dad, you know, I really, I want to go do club soccer again. I'm like, well, you're like three years behind now. I mean, we can do it, but it's going to be a struggle. But do you possible.
1: also feel because maybe you would have liked to have been a soccer pro yourself that you feel oh, Colby has a chance, more of a chance than I did.
0: There's always a little bit of that. I mean, all parents try and deny that. There's always a little bit of the vicarious yep. drive. I think anyone who's conscious of it tries to minimize it as much as possible and make it about the kid. Yeah. But as a parent, what you try and do is, is prevent your kids from making the mistakes that you made, especially the big mistakes. You know, I was really, I was like Colby, I was really good at soccer, and at like 13, I just bailed for no real reason. Just because I kind of had a, we moved and I was playing a team. I'd, I wasn't crazy about the kids or I don't know what it was. I just yeah. didn't want to do it. And then, you know, I was able, I was good enough to play college, but I, don't know, I was just, you know,
1: I was. Why okay. did you get passionate about it again?
0: I don't know. Like I, I didn't play f- for like five years. I didn't play from eighth grade through high school. Yeah. And, or through my freshman year of college. I just walked out my sophomore year. And I think I was, I, I, I switched sports and started playing basketball. Yeah. Out of nowhere at the age of 14, which is tough to pick up a new sport at 14, especially when you're not going to be six foot five. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I was a good enough athlete and I was committed enough that I was good enough to make the high school team and be a decent high school player. And I didn't, I tried out and I, I was the last guy cut in the college team. I didn't make the college team.
1: You did or you didn't? I did
0: not. Uh-oh. I didn't make the college team. Um, and it was a little bit of bad luck. There just happened to be a lot of guys who played my position or a year or two older. And so they were kind of packed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although the funny thing has happened is later on my sophomore year, I, I was running track as well as playing soccer. They, I would train with the basketball team periodically because the coach would come over and say, hey, can we use Jason for practice? Because, <laughs> you know, if, they're, if we're missing a guy's hurt or injured. Right. You know, so okay. I, I still trained with them sometimes just to help them out. But anyway, um, so I think I just kind of got a little burnout on basketball. Yeah, You know, and uh, I, you know, like I said, I did make the basketball but team. But
1: maybe you would have got burnt out on soccer.
0: Well, yeah. Well, so I didn't play, I, was say, I didn't make the college team my freshman year. And so what happened was I, um, I think I was playing an intramural team and we won, our intramural team won the whole thing. And one of the guys who was in the varsity team was a friend of mine happened to see the championship and he's like, Hey man, you're, you're a good player. You should try out for the varsity team. For the soccer yeah. yeah, and I was like, oh, huh, okay. And so it just turned out that I, I, you know, I mean, it's a long story, but essentially I tried out and I made the team and then I ended up being, you know, like
1: my first year being a decent player. So I was okay. Well, let, I, here's, here's what advice I would give to you. Let this go. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Revisit this in a year. In a year, see if he's maybe just let, let it go for a year and then in a year... See if he's interested. And I think that's that's what we've been thinking. But it was just
0: funny because so, you know, I sent this email to his coach and I said, hey, you know, I, we're just going to pull him out. I mean, you know, it's kind of kind of heartbreaking. We feel really bad about it yeah. because they've been very supportive and kind of patient because we pulled him out before because he was kind of losing an interest and they always had a lot of enthusiasm about Colby. Because no, I remember then he wanted to go back. Yeah. He missed it. Yeah. And so, and I feel bad about being like the flaky parents. We're in a route, right? We're yeah, in a yeah. route, you know, and... So, but they both emailed me back and were like, hey, we're really sorry to hear that, Cole, you know, really bad news. And, you know, but the the coach was, team was like, well, is there any way that we could just get him play today? Maybe we're getting new uniforms. Maybe we'll get excited. And so we, I kind of threw it at Colby. I was like, I, you know, it's funny. We were sitting, it was yesterday afternoon, and this was funny for a different reason, but. We're just I was sitting on the on the couch next to my wife and Colby's sitting there and we actually having almost like a grown up conversation with him about it. Yeah. When he's seven, it was kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. I turned to Col I turned to say, I go, I go, I I kinda feel like I'm talking to a rock and the rock is talking back. It's just weird, right? <laughs> and Colby's like, I can hear you right <laughs> I said, I know, Colby. I said, You gotta understand from our perspective, you were just a baby like just like last month to us right it seems like last month you were a baby and before they didn't exist and now you're sitting here with opinions and uh and you know your own perspective on things (laughs) and your own argument for things. it's just strange i said trust me kobe it's weird he kind of smiled like he kind of got it It seemed like but it was funny so we had this sort of conversation i said kobe look i i want we what we do is we want you to have fun we want you to have fun today but we also want you to have fun later You know, so we're trying to optimize. I mean, sometimes you don't want to do things today, but it's building towards being able to have fun and choices and options later. It's the same reason you do your homework today so that you can go to college or have the kind of career you want later, right? You just kind of balance out. And so I tried to explain that to him. I said, we're just, you know,
1: one. But it's, I mean, I don't think, it's very difficult for a kid to imagine my career, you know, when they're seven. It's weird. The rest of my life, you know.
0: It's very weird, and so you kind of don't want to put too much of on them, but you kind of wanted to say, you know, I tried to explain in very simple terms,
1: like, you know, if you decide in a few years that you want to get back into this, you know, it's just... But you could do every... I, I would have thought until, until the age of 10, I mean 10, like he could even get back into it at 10 and become awesome, I mean you, you can could miss a couple of years right
0: yeah no, i think that's right you it's, know what just, I mean? it's just um yeah that's right so i'm like i'm gonna coach his ayso team and he'll probably play on like the ayso all-star team in the winter which i'll coach so i'll still be kind of coaching and making sure he develops and that's probably what we're gonna do we just yeah. think that's a smart thing to do it's just a little fun because sandy when i was getting my notes together to come come over to your place i was in the office sandy walked in the office she's like you know i'm just feeling really sad right now just really sad about colby that's sad. And it's just funny. You just, yeah. And I know people listening to this are like, this, this guy, this is ridiculous. The kid's seven or eight. But it's, it's just, you know. You, it's your own kid and you've invested a lot of time. You, you I, I have this, I- you have this idea of, of yeah. this. I mean I, I mean, I just pictured it. Maybe you're into music. Maybe you're in art and your kid is just really into it and great. And all the like, teachers or coaches are like, this kid is amazing. And then he's like, I don't want to do it anymore.
1: You're just like, wow. That's, just, that's a real well, bummer. <laughs> the other thing is that even though he says, I don't want to do it anymore, doesn't mean that he won't be just as flaky and say in two weeks i want to do it that's a good point because after all he's a kid yeah a kid, like kids <laughs> no, you know there's there's no rhyme or reason to a kid's brain yeah you know? but i tell you that's kind of had me
0: down for for like a three or four days i had to write this email send to the coaches and they get back to me and they're like i'm just like <laughs> oh, man gotta it's funny i mean it's like that has been the you know was it worse than receiving a bad comment on the texting blog oh yeah wow oh yeah four days of down well, I'm not that down, but it's just like I. Did, whenever I think about it, I'm just like, yeah. But you know, whatever. I mean, well, like I said, it's it's like I said, it's he can always jump back in later, and we still. I'm play. telling
1: you, and don't give up on this until he's gone past ten.
0: Well, you could you could probably do it up until like thir- twelve or thirteen. It just gets harder and harder yeah. to catch up. You know, once you get to a certain level, it's just you're so far behind. It's just hard to get on the fast track because the other kids are just so much better and so much more advanced. They just and they're still trying, right? They're not only the most talented, but they're really the reason they've been yeah. doing that long is because they love it. Yeah. Then. Anyway, so we can go on to something else. Sure.
1: But, yeah. All right. Well, um, you've got your obligatory clipboard with you, with all your notes.
0: I will say, okay, I'll say one thing I'm ex- really excited about. One thing that's put me in a good mood is play, counterbalance it. Yeah. And it's not what you think, because we'll get to that in a minute. All right. What? So I've been out with a pulled groin muscle for the last last nine months. You've been out with a pulled groin muscle. That's got you excited. I'm back.
1: Oh, you're started, back.
0: <laughs> it's, like, it's amazing when you've been injured and you can't do something you love, how... Yeah much of a bummer that is and like i've just been what is it you wanted to do
1: you know, play basketball, basketball play soccer, soccer whatever
0: yeah. i mean all i could do is get the elliptical so this past week i'm just like yeah i played basketball for the first time sunday night and now um, were you
1: were you useless were you like oh my god i'm so rusty at this
0: you know it was funny i uh i was really i was doing pretty well for the first five minutes yeah. And then I kind of died. I kind of lost motor control because the guys I'm playing with were all fit and good players. Yeah. But right at the end, I'm like, guys, because I told Sane, I was like, I'll be home, for nine, I'll be home at 930. You know, I have a little dinner date at 930. I said, I'll be home. Don't worry. She's like, okay, I'll wait for you. And uh, it got to 915. And I'm like, guys, I got to get out of here. And they're like, come on, one more game. We got to play one more game. One more <laughs> game, right? Because it's like a group. It was all it was six of us. So yeah. if I left, we couldn't play. Yeah and uh and i'm like damn it all right i gotta go so we go and we start playing and like i played i like hit like five shots in a row like jump shot you know i like they're all like what the hell? i guess this guy was to go home <laughs> because it was like <laughs> i guess all i needed was a reason to leave so i'm like i'm just gonna pretend that that last three minutes was the whole night everything else was, it didn't yeah happen.
1: yeah okay but anyway, nice. anyway,
0: nicely done anyway it uh I'm not in a good mood about that. Well, I'm
1: that. glad, man. I'm glad that you've, you're, you're feeling better on, on that, from that perspective. <laughs> so your own soccer career can come back.
0: That's right. We may, in fact, a buddy of mine, um, he's been playing in this uh, in this um, this sort of men's soccer team. It's kind of a small-sided, seven-a-side soccer league. And he's like, hey, man, he's like, we, we should put Cobalt, my, which is my old team, we should get a team for Cobalt, put it in there for like a team of you know, just ballers and just like – you know, we're on the table on this thing. And so I went up and I watched, I went up to watch a game. It was like at nine o'clock at night. And so I, I go up there and I'm standing around watching the game and the TV is on pretty weak and, he looks over at me after a couple of bad plays and I kinda of shake my head. I look back down at my phone. I'm just kinda of like checking my email. And he said he said, I feel like I feel like it's the the, the movie The Blues Brothers, like they, they come to they see the, one of their old bandmates playing in some lounge band. They're just like shaking their head. <laughs> like, all right, right, we're putting the band back together. Oh, okay. So I think we're gonna I'm probably gonna put a team in. So that'll be
1: fun too. So you're gonna put Cobalt back together?
0: I think we'll put like a we'll put like the uh the old school, like the it'll be the over thirties. So it'll be some of the older guys. Okay. Um but we'll put a we'll put a team in. I think we could probably get a team in eight to ten guys. Cool. Yeah, you know it's. I've been missing. We've been ha- it, that's been gone well, for like a year and a half. You
1: had to you had to give up on it, you know, to to miss it, and now you've been away from it. I always missed
0: it. It's just the league shut down. I had no other. I didn't have an option. Okay. But I guess I did get a little. I had enough of just organizing a team. It ten takes, years you were doing it for yeah? Who's much like doing this podcast, much work and organization? Imagine doing this for 10 years. After a while, you're just like, whoa. <laughs> well, we're almost 20 minutes in and we've, t- we've d- had no tech. I guess we need to talk tech. A little bit. At least a little bit. Did you read about how they're uh, scaling uh, this guy's scaled node to, uh, to serve a million concurrent connections? No, I didn't. Yeah, yeah. So he started Well, he, 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 he hit the, uh, I think it was a 250,000 mark. And I think there was an update... It was pretty fast i mean it was like I, I let me just see what it was i don't know how many updates is per second but um you know he did a couple of things to tweak it but i think it was pretty good too you know 250k barrier let me see if he says um they're trying to keep under a 1.4 gigabyte heap limitation in v8 and the
1: uh the cpu cycles were pretty were pretty limited so what he was on like a, just a regular server like a one gig server kind of thing
0: yeah, it was sending hundred thousand JSON packets per second. Wow! Yeah, and he did some kind of, uh, yeah. Anyway, he 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 kept going with it and uh, did half a million, and then he had a million. So he had to, he had to get like a whole uh, like a whole swarm of like EC2 instances for, to create the client connections. Wow! To connect in. So one server. Yeah, that's incredible. One server, one node instance. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I mean, we found Node to be very scalable at um, at Uber.
1: But so, how is it going to deal with so that's fine for the, so the client's talking to node but if you've got a million connections coming in and they're all talking to some kind of database how could it deal what database would you talk to would you would you have to spread that to a whole bunch of different machines on the back end
0: Yeah well I mean they're just they're sort of just testing node itself they're not testing mongo or mysql or anything like that it's just I think they're just routing like I think it's just some some dummy messages that are getting sent I'm curious cuz you
1: know cuz of the uber stack right if we were, if someone was building Twitter today or a service like Twitter what what would be the best kind of architecture if node was involved like what would you use on the back end for the database
0: Okay well you know node and the database are completely separate issues so they you know you, they're, they're they're not related at all so you could use whatever back end you want and just like you can use python or ruby or
1: well so you could so, so oh but I'm just thinking about like the throughput of like millions of messages a second or whatever into into some data store See, like, no, the thing that Node
0: gives you that is harder to pull off with something like PHP or Ruby yeah. is the fact that it's like a it's a it's a um, continually running program. So you can have stuff in memory. You know, every time it's like you know PHP. Every time you run a script, yeah. it loads the script up, and has to read stuff from some kind of data store. Yeah, right. Node instance is always running. So if you have objects that you've already instantiated, they're still instantiated. So you skip that whole step. So if you have things that are going to be long lived and being you know um, constantly updated. Like in so Uber, were, then...
1: So if, then, if you were doing tweets, say, for example, would you have them in memory or would you store them in database or how would it work?
0: Huh, well, something of that scale. I mean, you know, every time you get something to scale that size, you just, you, you change things. But I mean, I see, I don't know if you would need a, a node for something like that. I don't know if that would be the right architecture, but you, you could theoretically, if you, you had machines that had a ton of RAM. Yeah. Right? You could, you know, because right now you could get these 32 gig servers or whatever and each server has an instance of say a uh, a user <laughs> i guess and they tw- you know and they have their list of tweets or something and but um and you could have it all stay in in ram oh i see you could have a cluster of servers but you know so you could have millions of of users and if a user hasn't come so, on so and, every
1: user would have their own node instance no 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 no
0: every node Every node instance might have some collection of users, so they might have you know a million users per node instance. Yeah. And each you know, and each node user has their last hundred tweets in their object or, or whatever, really? or the last five hundred yeah. tweets or something. So it would be easy to search. So what you could do is say you had a cluster of like you know twenty of these servers with which each had a million users, users who've logged on within the last say month. That's
1: cool. Could you then also do like so say for example, in Twitter, as, as another example, sometimes you block someone, you know, so that so they can never speak to you or something like that. Could hmm. you do those kind of relationships within the node? I mean, is it just like, it's all just stored in objects or something like that? Yeah, it's just, yeah. So,
0: yeah, I mean, you can do anything you want. I mean, and, and it's not special to node. I mean, you could do this in Java. You could write Java programs. You could do it in C++ or .NET. You could probably do it in Python. Yeah. twisted. It. It's just node makes some of the stuff, they, the, it makes the programming model sort of simple. You know, it's it's dynamic language. It's just easier to code and and stuff than some of these other languages.
1: So, so, could you then like do something like that, and then have some other system that like backs up RAM, so that if it was to go down, it just kind of brought RAM back up.
0: Yeah. Well, actually, that's what we do. We have uh, we use Redis for that at uh, at Uber. Well, how does that work? Talk okay. So every time there's a state change, whether a driver or a trip or client updates their state. Yeah. Okay. And for anybody anybody who's new to the show, doesn't know Uber is a sort of a real time, I don't know how we describe it, but you you can um, request a, uh, a town car. Yeah. um, Using your smartphone. And we have it running in like, I don't know, 15 or maybe 20 cities now or something like that. Okay. So every notice is you, those are your three primary objects. Yeah. Trips, clients, and I mean, drivers, clients, and trips. And so anytime one of those states changes state, um, their their state of that the state of that client for instance let's say he the, the person updates to like I'm looking for a trip or I'm a, I'm gonna log out or whatever it would update the Redis instance. So Redi- Redis, Redis and what's that.
1: Redis? Redis is like a, a value key.
0: store Yeah, I stores. mean, yeah, essentially it's just sort of like a, like a it's like a it's like a memory store system. So you could have you could it's just sort of f- flat. It's not like there's smart objects or whatever, but it's just like you can stick dumb data in some kind of. Um, uh, Day key value store sort of like a a, what was the one memcache it's like a smart memcache memcache. or something
1: i'm curious why don't why don't they just take a snapshot of the ram like just go and store that on disk so that basically if the server comes down you just say okay there's the last snapshot of ram bring it back up
0: well that's kind of what redis does i think and i'm not sure what frequency it does that but it kind of does some sort of a some kind of writes to disk or of some kind. I don't think it does a complete snapshot because writing to disk of like a gigabyte of no, RAM or hundreds of megs of RAM would take a lot of time. Oh,
1: oh, oh! It would, you know. Oh, that because what I was thinking was you just directly take a snapshot of the of the heap that the node is using.
0: Well, imagine you know? if that's you know hundreds of megs or, or, oh, ten, okay, or, right, or right, many right. gigs a bi- gigabyte. It's
1: too, you can't just go kabam like you can't just slurp it all down and. Okay. So you
0: just do incremental. So. I'm not. I'm not an expert on Redis. We use Redis. I, you know, I wrote some code that writes and reads from Redis. Yeah. Um. So that's what we do. That's kind of like our state. So if a dispatch server ever goes down and another server comes up, it just reads the state from Redis, which Redis is, hasn't gone down. Redis has stayed up the whole time, and it's all in RAM, so it's super fast. Yeah. Okay. It's not like you have to query. Might do a ton of. But it reads the queries.
1: state of millions of different rows, or it just reads the state of a couple of things.
0: It's just a bunch of key values. I you see. know, yeah. um, and I I can I get I get confused with the nomenclature if I can't remember if that's what they call it or not yeah, but it's yeah. some, similar to that because um, I've been working with Simple DB lately and we work at Mongo so it's kind of get them all confused but we also use MySQL. MySQLs were all at the all of sort of the business logic that the API reads from so everything ultimately gets stored in um, in MySQL for that it's huh. just it's just that Redis is like our real time like a backup system if a dispatch server goes down it can read from uh, Redis huh. So that's that's, that's sort of how it works. That's that's interesting. Uh,
1: I don't know if that camera if that answers your question or not. But no, I was just I was just curious about that that whole architecture. So yeah, that did answer it. Yeah. So what what else you got on your list? Then? Well, first I think we we need to clarify too.
0: You are working at Uber Media. I work with Uber. <laughs> yes. They're two different companies, even though they share the the first half of that is the random, the isn't it?
1: How, I want to know
0: how that happened. I know of all of the companies in the world, <coughs> the two that sound this, so similar. Yeah, I mean, we have to work. So Uber Media does Twitter type of social media stuff. Yeah, That's Uber
1: right. Media is part of Idea Lab, uh, Bill Gross's Idea Lab. And Uber is Travis Kalanak's Uber. Uber started out of San Francisco, yeah. which is, for, as I already explained. So,
0: yeah, I just a few people have emailed about stuff. It's like, oh, yeah, so cool that you guys are working together. You and Justin are working the same place. Um, no. No, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I want to get an update on, uh, so what's it like to work <laughs> at Idea Lab? I mean, have you, has there been anything new that you haven't told us the last few weeks? Have you realizations
1: or... Well, I, I have had one realization, which is it's very relaxed working in Idea Lab. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's kind of a relaxed environment. I was thinking this is f- so cool that it's so relaxed. But I have a sneaking suspicion that, well, I know that for a fact that Bill Gross is coming back from vacation on Monday. And what I'm thinking is, oh, maybe it's relaxed because Bill Gross is away. Maybe when he comes back... It's going to be like seriously hardcore pushing, push, push, which is, and 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 I've met these kind of entrepreneurs before, and I think that that's probably going to be the case. So you haven't, he's been gone since you've been there? He's been on vacation since I started. First Uh. day I walked in was Bacon Fest, right? And it's been, it's been, I mean, not to say that I haven't been working hard. I mean, I've been working hard and I'm sure that everyone else there has been working hard, but I mean, that kind of high pressure environment isn't there.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, at least at Uber, it's not that way. Cause tra- you know, whether Travis is there or not, people do the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Were, you know, I, mean, I think I think technical CEO people who are, who are CEOs of technology companies that are and have achieved some success have quickly understand that you can't put that kind of pressure on people if you want them to perform well over the long haul. You're probably right, actually. In the end, You're they have right. just figured out that, you know, these, these artificial deadlines and all this stuff and all these sort of artificial sprints, it, it, that's going to be detriment a detriment to the long-term productivity of, of of the group. I mean, there's tons of studies. I mean, I, I don't even think I don't think people really need convincing of that. I mean, it's just like if you run a marathon, if I say, hey, we're on the sixth mile, let's just sprint to the seventh mile. Yeah. That's going to kill your overall time. Okay, yeah. you got to that seventh mile faster. What the hell did that make? difference did that make? Yeah. Pickup is as, as solid of a pace as you can – carry for the whole length of the race and do it and right at the end of the race maybe you can try and pick up whatever last bit of effort you can put into it put into it but that's it
1: but well we'll see now bill gross's desk is behind mine so he can look straight onto my screen so oh really yeah nice (laughs) so he's like literally just like uh you know two feet away from me <laughs> oh i guess you better watch your butt
0: <laughs> so
1: you know we'll see That's we'll see great. this time next week we'll have some more information about that
0: maybe you in particular are going to be under yeah scrutiny yeah everybody else is like is going to be enjoying bacon fest <laughs> you're, you're like, like who's this guy who's this <laughs> random guy i keep seeing him like going on with this plugio thing and mm. i don't
1: know i was just like are we paying this guy <laughs> all right listen let's get some feedback um oh, well let's get some updates on any
0: yeah. So any foot, we actually have a legitimate update. Okay. We actually have made legitimate progress oh since our last year. Oh my show. God. So rather than me just saying, well, I'm getting on, I'm getting to it. <laughs> I have a fair number of things. So I actually got a fair amount done um, on the whole dashboard. So we got the new dashboard up. So now clients and experts, when they log in, they have a dashboard link and they can go in and, and change their information. Uh, you know, after that, it looks awesome. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Thanks. So, that all works, all works well, and at the end, it has a link to submit. For experts, they have a kind of a tab where they can say, you know, submit profile. And if you go in there and, he, and there's something they haven't completed, it'll say, "Hey, you still need to fill out your tax information or whatever." So, yeah. I think I think I think I was able to do that in a way that was clean and simple and works. Nice. So that was good. I know that made you really happy to finally get that out the gate. The big thing about it for me was it got my momentum going again. Mm-hmm. I mean, momentum was just completely switched off for like, I don't know, has it hasn't been two months or something.
1: Yeah. And, and it's weird because you lost momentum, but we were very, we were very passionate and very into the project, but then the momentum got lost, but now you've got the momentum again. That's crazy. Like, how can that happen? I don't, I'm just, I'm a, I, I guess I'm very
0: momentum based. I, you know, I, once, once I get into something, I get excited about it. Yeah. You know, I can stick on a lot for a long time whether it's weeks, months or years, I mean, but when I completely lose momentum and there's any sort of like negative feeling about it, I I have a hard time just getting excited about doing it again. I think also it was just um, stuff I kind of, maybe I didn't want to do or I just wasn't sure how I wanted to do it and we had this sort of dashboard tab and i still couldn't figure out like how we're how we're going to make that look decent and until i finally decide screw it i'm just not going to do don't it, just gonna do a dashboard it. Tab. we don't even need it it was yeah. just holding up so yeah. I, I don't know and um but the good news is that now i feel excited about it. now i'm like wanting to do it now i'm like trying to get through other things so that i can have some time to do it so if I uber needs some work done i'm like trying to crank through that so i'm like okay i got that done bought myself some time what do we have left then to, to do i mean well i think um I mean I think there's a lot of things that we can work on over the next month or two yeah. for sure that are going to improve some that I think are really necessary and some that are just going to improve the experience for our users but nothing's holding us back from say recruiting experts
1: okay. we're there now which is fantastic and we have a plan to do that you you call me up with a plan and I really like it let's uh, tell the listeners
0: Yeah you know um so I as like as a like, so what I was trying to get you to do for like half a year, <laughs> Sandy did in three hours. <laughs> oh man, she said. So she, so I, I, I was walking out of the office for like, um, I don't know, for just refill my coffee or whatever. I was like, hey, what's up? She's like, she's like, so what? How about if I just start helping you and Justin find the experts? You know, do the, you know, do the research for you. I'm like, oh, that would be amazing. She's like, yeah. She's like, I'll just do that. I'll get all the experts for you, and then you guys can you know, contact them. And I also said, well, what about, you know, kind of, you know, if you could give us a spreadsheet, say, who do we need to contact or who, who, who we need to follow up, follow up with. And she's like, yeah. Oh, she's like, so you want me to project manage you too? And I'm like, yeah, that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, all right, fine. I'll project manage you too. So she's two things that she's very good at are, um, first is research. She's very good at research,
1: which, which I think I, I've,
0: I may be able to do, but I don't, I really hate. For whatever reason, you're just not, you weren't doing it. I mean, at some point in getting, we can dissect your personality and decide it wasn't happening. Yeah. The second is project managing. And she she needs to do the same thing that she did for Phil and I with my first company. Yeah. Renaissance Research Group. Basically, she comes in and sort of helps us prioritize what needs to get done. The things that are outside of coding. Yeah. Because we'll do those things usually. We can self-manage on that. Yeah more or less, but she'll say, okay, well, I've said she would come on. She'd be like, okay, I have, um, I have a business trip set up for you next week. You're flying to San Francisco. You have free meetings on Tuesday, four on you know Wednesday and three on Friday. And you're flying back on whatever. Like she would just do it. I'm like, okay. So i would get my, she'd have my tickets to my hotel. The meetings are set up and I would just go and give this and give the present, the demos and presentations.
1: Awesome. So, well, I guess that's not going to happen with any food, but what she is going to do is She's going to she's going to find
0: um, the experts for us. Yep, and then she's going to give. I think what we're going to do is like
1: every day we'll get five. How's she going experts. to know who's an expert? How's she going to find them?
0: So that's what I did, right? So the whole thing that you've been kind of like, well, Jason, I don't know who do we talk <laughs> to, and I don't know who an expert is, and I just don't know. <laughs> I talked to her. I, I said, all right, so I said, so here's the deal: we want we want to we want to cover, you know, all of the technology spectrum. From programming to sysadmin to DevOps, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and and, and things related to startups, kind of like copywriting and and uh, optimiz- conversion optimization. You know, everything and related to startups and technology. And then we can always branch out later beyond that. But that's a big enough.
1: Yeah, that's enough for a day's work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So,
0: and I said, you know, so here's the thing: we want people who are top flight. Not just are skill wise, but have the credentials. So, like, they've written a book on it, or they've given talks at some big conferences, or something that can demonstrate to people right off the bat that they are an expert.
1: They know and, this. And
0: yeah, I know we're talking, and I know we've talked about this on the show, yeah. but this is the conversation I have with her. She's like, Yeah, I get that, right? Yeah. And I said, We want. Um, and, and she's like, so she's like, I think the best thing to do is then go at Amazon and look for who wrote the books on it. I said, yeah, exactly. She's like, then you can find out who the people are and, or who spoke at conferences. I'm like, perfect. I said, then the type of people we want are the, the, your, our best bets are going to be people who are, who have consulting firms or independent consultants
1: because they're going to want work. They want money. Yeah.
0: The second might be people who, um, have small startups that not really funded and they are the kind of people who could probably be up for some quick money. Yeah. The third would be people who work at some big, boring companies and have free time and are like interested in the thing you're an expert in, but don't, but you know, they work nine to five or whatever. And
1: But I mean, how does she get the list of tech? Yeah, in the first I'll, I'll
0: get into that. Get okay. It. So then the fourth one, as I said, you know, um, and then the fourth type are people who uh, are successful entrepreneurs and have fun to And I said, you can ignore them because they're not going to have time.
1: Yeah. And they're not going
0: to do it. They have they, they, made enough money, so they don't work for money like that anymore. Or they're
1: just passionate about their startup and they they're just, not going to want to spend any time.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... She's like, okay, and I said, you can figure out who, what are the popular categories by Stack Overflow, because you go into categories, um, you can find out how many questions there are per category, like how many are there are for Node, or how many there are for Python, or how many for Mongo, right? Yeah. And I said, so you want we want to lean towards the things that are bigger, as opposed to obscure, or popular as opposed to obscure, but we also want to lean te- towards technologies that are slightly on the newer side. I said, if you have any confusion about what's new and what's older, you can ask me, and I can tell you what I think are probably newer. Okay, yeah. Where there's less established expertise yeah i said those probably might be better for us but but we do, they can't be too new that they just are not aren't going to be used in in any real company yeah yeah and she's like all right she's and then i started explaining more. she's like i got it i got it <laughs> i was like you can go she's like i got it <laughs> <laughs> so i came that was a couple of days ago and i came back today she's like okay so i spent three hours of it and i got 30 experts for you no and she had a spreadsheet no. Yeah. 30 in three hours. Yeah. She had had a nice little spreadsheet and it had like their name and their email address and the URL where she, whatever public URL for them. Um, She would have like what books they've written, if there are any books or conferences they spoke at, their Twitter handle, plus the number of followers they have, their Stack Overflow score, if they were on Stack Overflow. (laughs) And then she would rank them. Yeah, And then she would rank them based on what she thought they were first or second tier. She's like, I think a lot of these people in Stack Overflow are good, but I think they weren't second tier. So like I don't think not not in terms of they aren't as much of an expert, but they're not. They don't have the name brand. Yeah. Like they, you 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 might find some really good deals on uh, of sort of sort of a no named expert in on in Mongo or jQuery yeah. on there, but if you're if you're trying to get advice from somebody on on a uh, I mean imagine this imagine you're you know the CTO or some senior technology person in some small company and you're about to have a a a, conf, a a conference meeting with some senior management and you're going to talk about some of the technology direction but you want to go talk to the experts okay we're trying to migrate from MySQL to to some Mongo or trying to do something what are our options tell me should we do this how should we do it whatever well when you go to that meeting and they're like okay so what's the battle plan you want to say okay we're going to do X, Y, and Z and they're like well how do you know that's a good idea and it's like well I talked to so and so well who the hell is he well he's a guy who wrote the book on it they're like yeah okay yeah, exactly. <laughs> like yeah. you just covered your butt. Like you like you, like like we've always said, we want the experts on any food to be like the word of God on that subject. Yeah. If they say X, you can believe X is the right option. <laughs> they say don't do Y, you don't do Y. <laughs> yeah. Be advised. You don't want to be some guy, well, a random guy. I don't know. He had like a lot of karma and Stack Overflow. Yeah. That could work, but it's not as much of a slam dunk for people. Yeah. And so the things that we want, we want people who are experts, but we want the clients to feel like I can accept their advice and their help and I don't have to be second guessing it. And that's a big part. So she was she's very aware of that. Okay, great. I mean so she has thirty that's incredible already. thirty in three hours. So I think I think she could get, you know, obviously in order for a few weeks we could have hundreds easily. That's amazing. Easily. So basically then we take five a day. I think five a day is a good. We can each get off five emails. Personalized emails a that's day. Personalized
1: nice emails to those experts. Because we'll be
0: managing follow up emails, so we don't want to do too many. But we we'll do five new ones a day, see if we can. So that's what, 50 a week yeah. between the two of us? Um, if we do anything close to that, then over a period of a couple months, we could have hit,
1: you know, whatever.
0: That's 50 a week, 200 a month, 400. Well, once we've 200.
1: got, even we were saying once we've actually got 50 people on the site, we'd be ready for some 50 kind of, to
0: me sounds like a good. Base so number, anything yeah. less than 50, I mean, I guess you could have like 30, 35, but I think you have too few experts. It just doesn't seem, it just seems kind of, um, unserious, not a serious effort. Yeah. If you have enough experts that, you know, you do a show hacker news kind of thing and, or you write some blog posts, it's kind of thing that people write about and go, wow, look who they have. They have a huge number of the, of amazing people.
1: Yeah. Well, let's, let's, I mean, we'll be start. I guess we're starting on Monday then. Yeah. We're starting on Monday. Starting so on Monday, reaching out to five experts each a day. And we'll see who can uh, bag more.
0: You see, I think, and one of the reasons <laughs> that I think it's really good for her to do this sort of project manage us is, and, and I may have this, the terminology not quite right, but there's the, your executive function in your brain, which sort of helps planning, like, what is it that I'm going to do, right? Mm-hmm. And prioritizes. This is what, this is, what do I need? What are the things I need to do? And how am I going to do it? And when am I going to do it? And then there's a the process of just doing those individual tasks, the, the problem is when you mix the two is if you don't really want to do that task, you're getting frustrated, you start rationalizing to the executive, well, I don't really want to do this or Maybe we should, I should do something else. But if she says, no, here are your five people.
1: Yeah, you have to do And you're like,
0: it. but no, here are your five people. Yeah. You just do it, right? Yeah. And like she just is like a personal trainer or something. They just force you into a rhythm and a commitment and you just do it. So I don't know. I, I told her I, I thought it was a really... Big deal that she's doing I
1: think it really yeah, helps us. Yeah, it's massive. Uh, huge thank you to Sandy.
0: So we'll see how that goes. So they will start next week. I think we're we're there. So the other thing, a couple other things about it. You want to do some a more info because I got a few more things about
1: yeah, it. Yeah, no, do. Yeah, that's fine. So
0: um, we had two sessions this week, I believe, or was there one was for Joanna, and one's for Lance.
1: Yeah, Joanna and Lance, which are the superstars of any food to date.
0: Yeah, they are. Um, so one of the uh, the experts. Sent some unsolicited feedback he was trying to reserve a session with lance and he's like you know if you guys had a phone number i'd feel a lot better i mean i, I think you guys would probably improve your conversion rate a lot you have a lot better conversion rate and so i think that's a good point i mean i remember listing interview a mixture g interview like two years ago three years ago with uh the, fa- the founder of sitter city like a babysitter kind of service and she put the phone number up there and when she did that it was just night and day in terms of comfortable people felt and how willing people were to use the service just knowing that you there were real people behind it yeah and most people didn't even call but just having it up there so and he and he said the same thing and i was like you know that's a really good point because even when i when experts or clients email me i'm usually emailing them back and saying hey by the way if you want to call me about anything ask any question feedback, call me and how do you want to
1: manage that the, the, the call the phone number like so it's gonna go to you or me
0: i think what we do is on the good this is kind of um We'll segue into something else I want to talk about is we can set up a Skype phone number or, a, or some kind of phone number. Maybe we can do it. Um, what's, the, what's the one? Grasshopper or something? Yeah,
1: Grasshopper, like right. And I think they can route it then to different numbers and we can switch it. It routes to my number or it routes to your number.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I think that's what we do. And I okay. think um, one of the things that I noticed, so so I was going back and forth with this client Yeah. And uh, he had a couple of small problems. One, he didn't get a confirmation email after reserve a session, which was very strange. I haven't been able to reproduce it. And so I was trying to figure out what the problem was there. And then um, because that was something he brought up. He's like, yeah, I don't know. Do I have a session or what's going on? You know, Um, and then later and then when they reserved a session, somehow the time zones got screwed up and reserved a time for 6 a.m. for Lance. And Lance was like, yeah, I don't know why it did that because it shouldn't have been able to. Yeah. I don't know if it's a scheduler thing or something. So we need to look into that. But I went back and forth and I mean, I don't know. The thread was like at least 15 responses long plus another half dozen or more with Lance and a phone call. So it was a lot of just back and
1: forth and back and That was just one, that was just one thing. And it was primarily because
0: there were screw ups. Yeah. You know, um, you know, we don't, we take off, the, we we remove the corruption of the system, and it's be more self-managed. I mean, there's always a little bit of like hand-holding and stuff that we need to do, but for the most part, it's if the system is working working in a smooth and is simple, then it'll have a simple
1: than it will have. But we whole need up. to share the load, the support load, basically. So.
0: Yeah. Well, I was starting to like, okay, here we go again. Like I'm doing all the talking with the clients and experts because I check my email constantly. I always have my even when my uh, browser is minimized, I usually have um I can usually see the tab. And how many, how many unread messages I have in the tab. Yeah. So, and I, I kind of do like an inbox zero pretty close to it. Like I try and respond to things quickly and keep it, keep my inbox, if not zero, at least down to like less than three or four or five. I'm pretty much the same. So about
1: Plugio, but nothing else.
0: (laughs) Right. So I'm like, all right, then. So what we're going to do is, and I was, I was like starting to get bitter again. already. right. I'm like, all right, this is going to happen again. I'm starting to get pissed off because like you, have happened already is a couple of things. Like I'm the one responding to all these things and I'm the one talking to everybody. And you're just like, Hey, good job. Thanks. I'm like, dude, F you, you know, right. you good job yourself. Do it. So what we're going to do is Sunday night or whatever Sunday we'll switch. You'll be on call for a week and we'll switch to the routing of our email. So contact at any for a route, is routing to me right now and then we'll have or maybe it's routing to both are you seeing the the, the, the emails
1: uh i th- some of them i mean I, d- I don't know which ones but i mean i do get e- I do get some emails but what one question is why would why would we do that why wouldn't we just have a shared inbox where because we- you not as responses
0: as i cuz i i jump on stuff like immediately like i don't wait like 10 or 15 minutes well, so w- i'll jump on all
1: of them and then so, and doing other so work so something that we do with um Something that I've got set up with Plugio that, that works really well is a system called um, Help Scout. And so with Help Scout, we pipe all of the emails into Help Scout. It's an abstracted system that doesn't come into our inbox. So we don't see those emails until we log into a Help Scout. So you log into Help Scout uh, once uh, in the morning and once in the afternoon, and you can see the emails. You can then assign them to one person and or take them. So basically, you can track them through and follow them through. If we did something like that, then it doesn't bug you through the inbox zero thing because they're all going into this help scout. And because the problem is, is a whole week, that's kind of a bit weird. Like we should just, uh, you take one, I take one, you take one, I take one. It's like, why is it, why is it weird? Well, because right now one person's coming through and it's taking you that much time. But if we have 10 people coming through or 20 people coming through, then it's going to be like. Well, that's too much burden on one person for a week. We should, but we should split it up equally.
0: And we could do that. I mean, we got to do something because. But I don't want to be this thing where it's like, I'm doing more of the work because I'm faster to respond. Because I think we need to be kind of Johnny on the spot with the help. I don't think you. It's not a plugio issue. Someone reserved a session for like tomorrow, and like, and something weird happened. You know, you need to get back to them pretty quickly and sort that out because they're going to start being like, "Well, what's going on for tomorrow? Am I is this thing on or is it confirmed or whatever?" It's not like, "Oh, I'm trying to have a question about plugio." It's, 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 I think you need to be responsive, and I think especially during the work day. Um, and so I, that's why I think it's important to get back to these people and not okay. not no, like, I... "Well, batch do it." Like, "Well, I'll get back to them at three o'clock in the afternoon." Meanwhile, they spent their whole day doing it. A lot of these people are on the East Coast, so it's getting towards the end of their work day. They have some schedule for tomorrow. They don't know if it's going to happen or not. You uh, know. It,
1: what you say is is good for right now, but it, once there's any scale involved, it's going to be really difficult.
0: Do you, when you're small, you do things that don't scale. I mean, okay. you have to like – that's why I'm talking to all the clients and experts because I'm developing rapport with all of them. Like when I talked to uh, Blake, the client, and we had a really nice conversation. He understood, you know, we had some issues. No, It was no problem. Um, I, you know, we were joking around about stuff. And he's like, hey, you know, I have someone who you should talk to who's a, who's a top-notch uh, you know expert who i who i think would be great for your site. okay so it's like it just you 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 win over people's trust and their support and they become part of the story and they want to help you when you're like honestly
1: okay you know we how are we going to flip the email then what what's the process
0: well i you know i think we have we have a uh, don't we have some kind of is it a Gmail, Google Apps thing? No, we used uh, we said like Easy DNS or some, didn't we something that sort does the email that the emails. I can't
1: remember. Okay, well we let's not get into the weeds of that. Let's
0: we need not- to do it one way or the other. We need to split it out. I mean, I say we start with that because it's sure. simple. If it becomes unmanageable, where you're like, you know, you're like, I'm over Media. I got to get worked on, and I just got like seven emails in an hour, and there's no way I can facilitate this stuff, and then yeah. we got to come up with something else. Yeah, but uh, we just got to make it even so that. You know, I don't want to be sitting there going, not responding to an email, because I think you should be responding to some of them, and meanwhile, I'm getting stressed because I see this email sitting there aging, and it's like, been in there 45 minutes, and I could respond to the guy, <laughs> and I'm like, well, I've spent to the last five, and he's not responding to anything, then I'm going to get,
1: okay, okay. you know, it's, it becomes
0: an issue. I, right? I hear
1: you, yeah, I hear you. Okay, cool. So, I think it's the way. Yeah. So, uh, you got any topics, anything? No, I think we should we should definitely move off the the AnyFoo.
0: <laughs> oh, well, the, um, yeah, I think that's it, enough for the AnyFoo, so I don't really have anything to do with So, did you, it. Did,
1: um... So what I was going to say is, well, I have a couple of things. Um, I guess a plugio, uh, mm-hmm. just a, a, an update on that. Yeah, okay. Um, I don't even know what to say about plugio. I'm just like, a, I'm just irritated with it. <laughs> I want to smash it in the face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's my plugio update for today. <laughs> I, th- You know
0: what I think you should do? I think you should just, I think... Uh, I think the amount of effort that you've put in since you're making thirty five hundred dollars a month to yeah. now you're making four thousand dollars a month, yeah, you could have if you had started something some other little small some other small thing you could have done you could have easily made five hundred dollars a month,
1: yeah, that's I think sure
0: I think if I was you at this point just seeing what Twitter's doing with their with all their client api with other API limitations and yeah it just seems like you've just tried so much stuff and nothing is working that well and you're getting frustrated, maybe. Do some other little small thing and then just let this just milk it. Just take that
1: four grand and put it in the bank account. Yeah. And just quit. I mean, it's funny. I do have an I do have another idea. I have another thing in my I'm mind. I'm sure you
0: do, right? Yeah. I mean, I know you have other ideas. Yeah. So why not? Yeah. I mean, you put this huge effort, you rewrote the entire system. You did you did all the marketing several times. You redid pricing. You did videos. I mean, you've done tons of stuff for the last like six months, right? Yeah. Ever since MicroCoff. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, man. I, I I don't know. I think I just, like, use it as... It's sunk cost. I mean, this sunk, co- sunk cost fallacy there, time. I mean, that sunk cost, right? I mean, if you keep pushing this thing, it's not moving. At some point, it's like, you know, maybe this is just not um, the best use of your time. Yeah, yeah. Maybe there are other things you could do. And I, I'm i not saying that, like, start another big deal, but start some other small... Well, that time could go of into... Self, uh, sort of semi-automated software that yeah.
1: just uh, service... That's, the, what, that's what I've been thinking. I've been thinking of, of bringing uh maybe just leaving plug like it's running and then just may selling it putting it on flipper or something you know i don't know something like that just to get some cash out of it or, or maybe uh, just leaving it like it is just just being, i mean four a month is not a bad yeah. revenue stream for you, especially yeah. if you can stay there
0: and grow slowly yeah maybe eventually get up to 4, five thousand or whatever yeah. but i mean you know that's a lot of money that's uh it's know, something yeah it is it's yeah. 50 grand a year right yeah you yeah. stick that in the bank i mean that's yeah. Even so, if it
1: kind of died over three or four years, you, you know. And In the meantime, I'll just smash it in the face anyway. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And then there's this other little idea that I don't want to talk about yet, but I've got something that I'm thinking about. Okay. And I will, yeah, I'll just put this other time into into AnyFu and growing this now that we've actually got this train back on the tracks.
0: Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, I'm not saying it for the benefit of AnyFu. I'm just, I mean, I, you can start something new. I'm just saying that yeah. if AnyFu... If if, if, if Plugio is not, if, if the equation that's turning hours in into revenue is really bad, equation and really yeah. bad function, it's Don't essentially, do it. <laughs> I mean, at some point, you just, I mean, what's the, the definition of insanity is repeating the same thing over and over and expecting a different result, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, obviously, you're doing
1: different things, it's not the same thing, but it's, it's funny, Georgie keeps saying that to me, yeah. about Plugio. <laughs> well, I, there's a lot of virtue. Definition of insanity.
0: There's, there's, I mean, the, the stick to itiveness and the persistence is a, is a is an important trait for entrepreneurs. And I think it's I think it's um, people who don't have people tend to fail more because they don't because they give up too quickly. They don't try enough things. I think that's why 90 percent of entrepreneurial efforts fail, as opposed to I, I, failing the other side, where it's like you know. I stuck with this thing for years when I should have given up and tried something else. I think that's probably 10% of the time. And 90% is the other time. But in your case, you've been banging on this thing for a long time and the needle is just not moving.
1: Yeah. But it's, it's taught me a lot though, you know, working, working with the plug system. It has taught me a lot. Um, Yeah. Just in terms of tech, in terms of business, uh, all the things that we've discussed on the show. Um, So I'm glad, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad that we started in it, but you know, I'm pretty annoyed with Twitter, right? And I'm kind of annoyed with here. So we'll, we'll leave it at that.
0: Uh, one, one last thing I'll say. There's something I, I, uh, I sent you in Skype the other day, which I thought is kind of... Um, it, Black Widow, know, was it? No, no. It expresses the other side of the, uh, of, of the coin, which is people who give up too quickly. It says, uh, This is the founder of uh, Fresh FreshBooks talking yeah. about their history. He says, it took over 16 months to bring a product to market. When we launched, no one cared, and 24 months after starting, we had only 10 paying customers and
1: revenues of $99 per month. Nice.
0: 10 paying, that's 24 <laughs> months, so 10 paying customers making $100 per that's,
1: that's, that's two years and 10 paying customers. That's not so great. That's, that's actually worse than Plugio. Okay, way worse. Yeah, way worse. He says, yeah.
0: we moved into my parents' basement for three and a half years. Oh, wow. But despite all the evidence pointing to our failure, we carried on. And he goes on, since those humble beginnings, over 5 million people have used FreshBooks to send and receive print and pay invoices. Today, FreshBooks has paying
1: customers and over 120 customers. We are
0: rapidly growing 90-person company. You see,
1: this reminds me, this, this concept of just putting time into it, it's like paying your dues. And it reminds me of indie music or when you, when you start a band. Mm-hmm. Like you'll often hear of bands and you go, where did they come from? And then you find out actually this band is like ten years old. You know they've been doing this for ten years. They've been slogging away for ten years, touring around, but they've paid their dues. And if you just do that, you you create enough luck, surface area that one day, you know, in ten years, something's going to freaking happen. You know?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean it's like it's like putting time and effort. It's a necessary but not sufficient condition for success. Right. You know, yeah. it doesn't mean it's going to do it, but it's going to improve your odds. But I don't know. I in terms of plugio, I I think. Um, I don't know, at least, get, at least, take me take a break and yeah. see, if, see if we can find something that might be a little easier. I'm mean, let it just kind of
1: it's self-running at this point. It just yeah. kind of makes money, and yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm on I'm all on that. Now I don't have I don't have any articles because I assumed that you and your clipboard was gonna have <laughs> a lot of articles. Right. Well, why don't we uh, talk about donations? Oh, okay, sure. Uh, so we got some. Well, you've got actually a hundred bucks towards your iPad fund, which <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of cool, you know. So uh, Udi, uh, Udi Mosayev and um, who's the other guy? Oh, I don't have the... Oh, it's Frederick Torres. Oh, Frederick Torres, yeah. Uh, both donated 50 bucks each fee- to you to get an iPad. Now I'm feeling guilty.
0: I don't know why. Because they're, 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 they're donating to me specifically. Mm-hmm. And it's for an iPad, which is not exactly curing cancer.
1: No, but that's going to help plug. I mean, it's going to help um, texting. I don't know. Right? Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, you know, we can, uh, I can definitely read and bookmark and yeah. take notes on all my stories much more easily. That's for sure. Yeah. Because what's sucked lately is my printer's been on the fritz. Yeah. And so I haven't been able to print out articles. And so I've, I haven't been reading through the same volume of material the past couple of weeks. It's been a little frustrating trying to figure out, like, I've been having to read it, you know,
1: while sitting at the computer and... So well, let's let's talk about. Um... Well, let me just say one okay. one thing quickly. Is so that's five hundred for you. We need five hundred for you for an iPad, and I need three hundred and fifty bucks because I'm gonna just about to buy um, a sound filtering system, which is the reason why the show is now sounding so good. So basically, Isotope RX uh, is a, a VST plugin for the audio software that I use, and it does great sound cleanup. And what it does is it gets rid of, it gets rid of the background fans and all of the background hiss and crap like that. And that's why it, you'll notice the last show, the sound was really good between me and Jason compared to the show before where there was this big hissing between everything. So 350 bucks, please, yep, do send in some cash for that. It's three, it three, I thought it was 389 or was it 349? Three,
0: 349, yeah. Yeah, why is that so expensive? That is amazingly
1: expensive for a film. But he said it was a whole set of tools. It wasn't well, just- Well, for- it, it is a whole set of tools, but I mean, I don't think that is too expensive. I mean, if you consider- What it's actually doing, I mean, it's it's basically pro audio and helping you clean up audio. That could that could really a a software engineer could actually make money through that, you know, a a lot of money.
0: Yeah, I guess it's it's a good point. I mean, it's for it's it's professional level software. Professionals will pay for it to get their audio to the level they need. And I mean, that was amazing how better the audio
1: was. Yeah, you just you just really can't hear any of the background. All that background hiss. So what we do is we sample. This this uh filtering system basically you sample a, a section of the background. What makes this special is it does it live. So basically you don't need to do it during during the mix down. You can actually do it like as you as soon as you hit play, it's filtering out that sound. And uh normally it's it's just during a rendering process that it does that. With a so
0: I mean were you, when you have records, so is it doing it right now?
1: No, no. Uh basically during the mix. Oh. So, so during the mix, I sample a section of silence. Well, I say silence in inverted commas because it's not really silent. That's the whole point. I section a sample of hiss and then it knows how to remove that hiss. But why it's really good is because normally that would just happen during the render, like when you render the music out. But this is actually it. When you click play, you can hear it without the hiss. Okay. Does that make any sense? Yeah. 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 That's cool. So that's cool. Well,
0: it yeah. made a big difference. Well, I mean, Ben Boyter was really unhappy with the hiss. <laughs> Everybody was like, oh, I, I mean, the, the consensus was that the audio was much better with us recording in person. The back and forth was much better. Yeah. But the hiss, if you Suck. had really good headphones, was pretty annoying.
1: So anyway, Udi Mosayev is an um, uh, executive producer of this show and also Frederick Torres is an executive producer of this show. Both donated fifty bucks towards Jason's iPad. Thank you so much. Um, we'll put you on the the uh, actual page for this, and uh, you'll be there in the show notes. So thanks so much.
0: Yeah, thank you very much. And the um, the the thing that Frederick's working on, which I thought was kind of cool, he's working on something called J- J- I think I know how I pronounce it. It's J-Y-O-S, J-Y-O-S, is J-Yos. Is it? J-Yos.
1: Wait, Now where's where's he from? That sounds like like a like a some something that. I don't know, like a Norwegian kind of thing.
0: No, he's, uh, you know, he speaks Spanish, I think. Oh, is it? I don't know where he's from. I don't know if he's from Spain or South or Central America or where, but uh, he, um, so he's working, essentially he's working something that's kind of similar to Titanium, but it's, it's, it allows you to build native iPhone apps using uh, JavaScript.
1: Maybe he wants it pronounced J-Y-O-S. Really? Yeah. No, he says J-Y-O-S or something. Oh, J-Y-O-S. Okay, fair enough. J-Y-O-S. Yeah. So, but so basically, it helps you. It helps you build web. apps. So, if you're
0: a Windows developer, I, I guess he wanted to start building iPhone apps. Yeah. But being a Windows developer, um, you're more limited. You need a Mac, right? And he, I guess he, he said he bought a Mac, and he started. To, and he bought like and he, you know, downloaded Xcode and he started looking at Objective C. And he said he just went. He ran. He ran away. Just like this is just crazy. This stuff. This Objective C looks crazy to me. Yeah. And, he wasn't used to his, his, the tools he's familiar with. I mean, he was a, he's a C-sharp.net developer. It
1: takes some time. Well, as as we know, we've both migrated, and uh, we've migrated from PC to Macs, and it is kind of difficult.
0: Yeah, and it, but if you're used to building app, I mean, that's just using a Mac. Yeah. Writing software, Visual Studio, like Visual C-sharp and stuff, those the, the development environments are amazing.
1: And, yeah. And, yeah.
0: And, and coming from that, I mean, I don't know, maybe Xcode is better than it was, but for a while there, I was, I was kind of frustrated with it, too, when I played with it. I mean, comparison. And um, anyway, regardless, he—that was the environment he was familiar with. He's like, I want to be able to build these iPhone apps from within um, Windows Visual Studio. Yeah. So essentially, what he did is um, he—he got—I think it was like a MonoTouch. He used some of the code from the MonoTouch project, and he built like a, a .NET runtime. Like you compile, it did some kind of thing with the .NET uh, with the .NET environment to compile the code, and uh, and I guess the the JavaScript is interpreted, but it the, the the runtime is compiled or something, and apparently it's pretty fast, and and allows you to build this stuff, you know, very simply. It's 100%. It's 100% JavaScript. Huh.
1: So it's, it's it is a lot like Titanium then, and it, yeah. it outputs it as as native iOS or. I believe so.
0: I believe I believe it does but along with the runtime. I mean, he says right now you have to. You can only it can only be used like I can't. It can't go through the app store. Oh,
1: oh, it's no, it's JavaScript using the iOS API natively. Okay, right. so I think that means that it is actually JavaScript in it's it it's JavaScript, but it talks to the API natively.
0: Right, yeah. right, right, yeah, right. Yeah. And um, the thing was cool though is that if you're um, if you're an experienced .NET Developer, Windows developer, they you could use this. Yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest the biggest stumbling block is 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 you know learning all this the new, new language, new development environment, new framework, all this stuff. So that was pretty cool. So I asked yeah. him about if he's planning on doing it as, an, as a company or open source, and he said he wasn't sure yet that he was gonna. Okay. Well, see how it plays out.
1: Well, thanks very much for the for the donation, and um, it's great to hear from you. Uh, I know that you've been listening to the show for a long time, so it's great to uh finally uh talk to you and um yes good luck with that good luck with Joyos. why
0: are you getting so quiet all of a sudden quiet <laughs> <laughs> you're talking like talking really quiet <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why so um you remember how we talked to my brother jay about the uh fukushima Daiichi yeah. nuclear Disaster, yeah. Whatever, a little, a little over a year ago
1: or a year and a half ago. About the overblown, you know, how it was just the, the overblown of the threat was just too too much.
0: Well, we didn't know, right? Yeah. I mean, we were asking him, like, is this is this a big deal? Is or this is a big Not a big deal or, or yeah, what? Yeah. And there was an interesting article in the Wall Street Journal um, by a guy named Richard Mueller. I think he's uh, an expert in this kind of stuff. I can't remember what his sp- specific title is, but um, he was saying that the uh, the amount of extra radiation that most people received um, showed a level of 0.1 REM. And I guess REM is like how they measure, um, you know, radiation exposure.
1: And uh, When you say most people, do you mean most people in Japan or most people? No, how it's measured, how, 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 when you, how scientists measure radiation. But, exposure but he's saying the amount that most
0: people received. Who were he- right in, he says, says that the, the hotspots in Japan oh, showed okay. radiation levels at yeah. uh, lo- a, a level of 0.1 REM. And it's interesting. It said that the International Commission on Radiological Protection recommends evacuation of a locality whenever the excess radiation dose exceeds 0.1 rem per year. So that's that amount. He says, but that's one third of the Denver dose because if you live in Denver, because of uh, you know r- the radioactive radon gas, which is em- emitted from the uranium found in the local granite, yeah, you get 0.3 rem of radiation per year on top of the 0.62. RAM that the average American absorbs, and you know from you know whatever sources we normally get it from cosmic rays or just stuff that's wow. on the ground. Yeah, so they get three times, but yet they actually have uh, has a lower. Can- the, the people who live in Denver have a uh, a lower cancer rate than the rest of the United States. What? Yeah, yeah. So the, I guess so, so Some scientists interpret it is that um, the low levels of radiation help induce sort of cancer resistance. Um, he, this guy says he, his interpretation is that the, that the lifestyle differences people in uh, Denver, on average, have a more outdoorsy, healthy, exercise lifestyle. So maybe that <laughs> that may explain the disparity. There's no conc- no conclusive that's nuts. argument for it, but it's just saying that the the levels were pretty low. And he was saying that There's a couple other interesting things about it. it said that um, if uh, so, if you're exposed to 100 rem. Or more, you'll get sick right away from radiation illness, like kind of like cancer sick, where I mean you know, chemotherapy sick where you lose your hair and yeah, yeah. you know, you kind of burns and become like, you know, really just sick, I guess. Um, and it says that uh, you know, if you have lower amounts, it's like a dose of twenty five a dose of twenty five RAM won't cause any radiation sickness, but it'll give you a one percent chance of getting cancer. Hmm. Um, in addition to the twenty percent chance that you already have from natural causes. So I guess twenty percent of us are gonna get cancer one way or another. Yeah. So it's kind of small yet on 1%. It's kind of rel- relatively not a big deal. Um and if you have a, if you have a if you're exposed to 50 rem, then you have a 2% chance. Wow. You're still not going to get can- uh, uh, you know um radiation sickness, but uh increasing the 75% rem ups to 3%. So, but it's a 100 100 rem is kind of when you'll get sick. Huh. And it said that um one way of describing it is, uh, is how it works in a population. So, if, if 25 RAM gives you a 1% chance of getting cancer, then a dose of 20, of 2,500 RAM, 25 times 100, um, will give you 100% chance of getting cancer. Okay? And it said that um, a, dose, a, do, a, a dose like that would kill you from radiation illness, but if it was spread, over, spread out over 1,000 people. So, if everyone received 2.5 RAM on average, then 2,500 RAM would still induce just one extra cancer on the population of 1,000 people. I see. Yeah. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, He said that sort of the the way that you could calculate this in general, like, you know, in terms of how many extra cancers are induced in a population is that, in short, if you want to know how many excess cancers there will be, multiply the population by the average dose per person. And then divide by twenty five hundred, the cancer dose described yeah, that you know, we just talked about. Yeah, two point five times hundred. Um,
1: um, so I guess the the long and the short of it is twenty five times a hundred. I'm sorry, there's a lot less. Um, it, it's just much lower threat than than the press had led us to believe.
0: Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. You said that um, I think of the area of, of there were so of the um, 4,400 cancers. Um, of the people who were in the area, so there's, I guess a uh, there's 22,000 people in the in the area that got uh, that is sort of like what they call the two rem plus region. Yeah. So if you you do that little equation that I just described, you'll have 194 additional cancers, but that's in addition to 4,400 cancers that people are going to have anyway. Yeah. So it's kind of a very small percentage on, and but the but the issue is that um, of those cases. Most of the people are going to go away thinking that it was the the daiichi that okay. caused the cancer. When right, so really the it's, chances it's going are to be fr- it was a
1: fraction. It's it's, be, it's, it's just your twenty percent. It's part of the twenty percent lump. Yeah, most 20%. of the people. Yeah,
0: yeah. So the fact that of the you know you're probably in the forty four hundred group, not the one ninety four group. Yeah. And um, the uh, let's see, the other part was um, you know, so so we're immersed in radiation. Anyway, right, now. right I mean cosmic rays come down stuff in the ground the natural occurring uranium thorium um, radioactive potassium in the ground yeah. things like that um, and those t- those are typically at 0.3 rem per year um and we're also exposed to an additional 0 point3 if you include like medical exposures to, to x-rays and, and you know different kind of medical treatments so the, the issue was is that you know the the tsunami killed. A lot more people. Um, I can't remember what the number is. Like, you know, how many people died? Um, but it was like, uh, I don't know, fifty or hundred. How many people died? Let me see if I can get that number right. Anyway, well, I, I, I can't remember the number. Whatever it was, there's a lot. A lot of people actually died from the tsunami, but not that many people proportionally will die from the residual radiation effects. But um, I did, there's another article I read. Um, it was talking about how. Um, Scientists have discovered a way to um, extract, uh, I believe it's uranium from seawater, Hmm. much more rapidly and much less expensively. So, apparently, even if you take a fairly conservative view uh, of an estimate of it, that we would have enough energy, uh, uranium in the ocean that we could extract using this process, um, that would be only marginally more expensive than it is now to get um, to get water or to get uranium from the ground um, that it would even if it was like two or three times expensive as a ground the fact that the cost overall to running a nuclear plant plant is only a few percent so it wouldn't increase overall energy expense that yeah. much but it would there's enough of this in the ocean that it could uh, power all of our energy needs for the next 5,000 years if everyone on the planet consumed the amount of energy that say the average
1: person in Europe or the u s uses wow, so basically this so if we were to st- if we were to go with nuclear energy and s- extract it from the sea, then there's like a crap load
0: yeah yeah and I, and I guess <laughs> yeah exactly so
1: I mean there's are two totally separate stories but yeah I, I' had read both of them. It's interesting, interesting. Yeah. it's interesting because then you say because what, what, what I guess what you're trying to back up one with the other is to say, well look it was, wasn't really that bad the F- Fukushima the- I mean,
0: anybody who dies is bad, but you feel like that a lot more people will die because they don't have enough energy, they don't have an advanced enough society to deal with various types of diseases or get the kind of food or treatment, right? And, 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 and advanced societies that offer things like better food, better um, education, better medical treatment, depend on energy. You
1: yeah, have, but to have I, energy I Run mean, those I mean, if they, if, they, if, if they can be clever enough to extract uranium from the sea, I bet you they can be clever enough to just create an energy source that's, that doesn't require nuclear energy. <laughs> Well, I, I don't know. Just I mean, that's like a, you know, like wind, wind power, solar power, one of these green energy sources. Well, a lot of those things
0: are, um, are you know, there's just not enough to power everything right now. I mean, they're just. I don't think there's enough. I mean, yeah, there's other issues with it, but I don't. I like for com- countries like um, that are up in, that are up north, they don't get enough sunlight, and they may not have enough wind power to to power their society.
1: You know, and it's and it's still more expensive. I always wondered why they didn't just like the the Sahara or, or you know places where there's just massive big expanses of desert and there's a lot of sun. Why don't they just build thousands and thousands of solar panels, collect it, store that energy, and distribute it around the world?
0: Well, I think it's the storing and distributing of it that's expensive. Right, right. like that's we're the, it's out in the middle of nowhere. Okay, now we're, how are we going to build some grid that's going to get from the Sahara to where London, the whole world? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we, how are you going to transport? We that built energy? the internet. Yeah, well, that's a big jump, right? Hey, we uh, we developed a transistor, therefore we should be able to travel to another star system. I mean, you know, I mean, this is some problems are deceptively hard, you know, yeah, and they're not probably. solved. And the other thing is that things have to be competitive in the market price-wise. I mean, okay, so who's going to pay for it, right? I mean, it's got to be competitive because people, companies the whole aren't going
1: to... The whole world should pay for it. So it should be like a global effort.
0: So, everybody's going to get together, hold hands, sing Kumbaya and do this? You, yeah. you've, you've been alive for how many years in this world? <laughs> All right. So, yeah. Okay. Now, wake up. Now, you wake up from your little dream and find out how the world really works. The people have incentives, have to have incentives to do things. Yeah. Individual companies, investors, you know, people have to just say, well, is this going to be competitive in the market? Are people going to choose it? I mean, you're not going to pay twice or three times the amount of money for, for the same for a commodity. You know, you're not going to, you know, you're, you're going to pay what to buy things that are less, less expensive or whatever, higher quality in the same price. So and governments, that's a whole nother complication, but they, they have their own ways that they operate in decision making process based on political groups and every other thing. But the bottom line is, I think that uh, based on this, I mean, you know, I'm not an expert in, in nuclear energy, but based on things like this, it sounds like, you know, the nu- nuclear issue needs to be considered. I mean, I think, and then there's all these different power plants that, um, you know, that they can, that are, that don't have the same kind of radioactive waste that they can recycle and reuse the same, you know, they can repro they call it reprocessing the the nuclear fuel. Yeah. Things
1: like that. So, I don't know. Well, changing the subject, if you don't mind. Go ahead. Um, Just wanted to talk about intermittent fasting. Let's hear it. All right. Well, first of all... um, I have I have been continuing my intermittent fasting, but I've been doing it more along the lines of the way that Guyone uh, does it. Okay. Uh, so what I've been doing is this last week, and I've been walking to work. Have you? Yeah. So this last week, I've been walking to work, which is uh, basically 40 minutes walking a day. And it's it's kind of annoying because I do arrive to work real sweaty. So I basically take a, a change of shirt. <laughs> so that's how I deal with that. We you do like, like a horse bath in the bathroom? <laughs> like you get like a off and a wipe off you? <laughs> yeah, make <probably. laughs> yourself yeah. a horseman. <laughs> yeah. uh, but then, yeah. um, I, I'm. I guess I'm skipping. I guess I'm skipping either breakfast or lunch. I'm not sure. But what I'm doing is I'm going at about eleven and having a salad. So I'm just having a salad at the, the day, and then I have dinner at night, and that's it. Just those two meals. So you're not fasting. You're just eating a small I'm lunch. Sk- yeah, I, I'm doing well. The the guy owns like skipping. The guy on skips lunch. He doesn't. Yeah, he eat skips lunch. Basically, so that's what I'm doing. I'm either skipping lunch. Th- I'm basically doing it exa- eating exactly in between lunch and breakfast. So I'm skipping either lunch or breakfast. I'm not sure which one. But
0: you're still eating a salad.
1: Just a salad, yeah. But that's not skipping it. Well, I'm only having one meal instead of having lunch and breakfast. But I'm having that.
0: Oh, at well, so you have a you you don't have breakfast. You no have breakfast. salad for lunch. Yeah. And what kind of salad is it?
1: It's Father Nature's falafel salad. Oh, my God. It's so good. It's yeah. It's really good. It's like it's a massive amount of greens. And it's like about, about this big. It's just this huge plate of greens. And what kind of uh, dressing? Because that stuff can be pretty heavy. Like, no, no. It, it, the dressing is like it's like a tahini yogurt based thing. It's so, it's not, it's, yeah, it's not, not bad at you all. You ever
0: check that on the web and find out like if that's. I'm just having in. one salad. I'm just asking. You should yeah. know. Just, you should check. I mean, right? You never know. <laughs> Sometimes it seems to be... Oh, let me just having... look
1: into Google. Uh, what, how many calories in Father Nature's well, tahini out. Well, dressing? I mean, we'll find they're out. not Ta- going to have look up,
0: No, look up tahini dressing and find it. Like, it'll have it by the amount.
1: I already know it's fine. I don't... You don't look, know that. I don't... That's the whole point of intermittent fasting. You don't need to think about calories. That's the reason why I'm doing it. Okay. All right. Right?
0: So, you're, and so the walk, how is that working out?
1: Walks working out well. Walks out but. Y- now, I just got into my inbox this morning, and I haven't had a chance to read it, but I'm just skimming it right now. Guyon has sent me uh, an email that is just awesome. All Basically right. just saying he's, he's very pleased to hear that I'm trying out the IAF diet. And then he says, here's some, some links and some information that I could find useful and he's it's like the it's like the beginning of a weight loss book i mean he's he's given me six links and paragraphs just explaining different things like the first one is graph your weight and then he's got a bullet point list of all the things about that and good websites to look about that the second thing is he says recognize that your ability to resist temptation is actually less than you think it is and then he's lit, points to links and articles about that third is recognize that the feeling in your stomach is not actually hunger and what the, is it well, I, I I just got the email this morning. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not hunger, I don't know what the well, hell this. it is, but I'm going to find out when <laughs> I read his email. Okay. <laughs> and then it's just, you know, it goes on. Like, I actually think that Guyon should turn this into a blog post. Like, this this is an awesome beginner's guide to um, intermittent fasting and just weight loss in general. You should
0: call it, like, the Intermittent Fasting Quick Start Guide. Yeah, yeah. It's,
1: I mean, it's, it's really, really good. So huh, thanks, thanks so much for sending that. And the Guyon has come through for you. I haven't had a chance to read the Guyon's uh, email. but The uh, Guyon's Guide yeah. to Intermittent Fasting. Maybe yeah. That's it. But yeah. Anyway, just wanted to say thank you for that too. Uh, okay. So that's Intermittent Fasting. That's
0: it, that's it. Have you lost any weight yet?
1: I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I guess I lost a pound maybe. So do you weigh yourself?
0: Yeah 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 you don't really like you know like you you don't look at the number you know
1: yeah i'm i'm i think i'm like 127 right now i need to be 127 the 227 227 yeah i need to be lower what was the lowest you've been in the last say three or four years 220 223 so
0: your ballpark because you were up at 255 yeah your worst right yeah. yeah okay all right. Well, you're in a uh,
1: you know in a just- good space. Well, hopefully, just you know, just keeping it, uh, doing this walk like 20 minutes each way, and uh, doing this intermittent fasting, and then doing a, a little bit of weights should start to make a difference. Good. you're gonna do some weights. Maybe a little bit, just a little should bit of resistance going? training. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, that's good stuff. But I'm feeling awkward and uncomfortable, so let's move on. Why do you feel so awkward? Come- I don't know. I don't like to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, let's talk about uh, catalyst.
1: Oh, oh, good. Okay, cool.
0: Go I'll give you a up, quick update. So I went to the, uh, they have the back to school picnic uh, for Colby School. Mm-hmm. And they had like all the booths up for, you know, joining the PTA and buying T-shirts for the school. You know, just kind of signing up for different things. So I ended up running into a couple of the parents uh, of the kids that I thought would be a really good match for this. Yeah. That were, you know, in, in the gate. In the GATE program. So <clears throat> they seem pretty excited about it. So I got a, a group of, I think, I guess either six or seven kids. Already? Yeah, that I'm going to start with, who've all expressed interest. Now, yeah. the, just because someone expresses interest doesn't mean that they're going to do it, much less be committed, committed to it long term. You know, because people have things like soccer or baseball or gymnastics or Boy Scouts or all whatever. The right? They have they stuff do, they're yeah. doing. You know, <clears throat> and, um, you know, and there's a limit to how much time. Parents can a lot to driving their kids around to to activity after kid, activity and and also you, you'd run into conflict. So I'm trying to figure out like when to do it. Yeah. And I, I was originally thinking I was going to do it like at four, four o'clock after school. But uh, after talking to a couple of parents, I think I might move it to later, like 530 to 730 or something so that it's like after the parents get off work so they can actually drive the kid there. Right. Yeah. Because otherwise at four to six, like, well, who's taking them exactly? <laughs> can be a little bit of a problem. So, uh, so yeah, so, well, Colby was like, he was getting on me. He's like, dad, so when are we going to get started? You know, he was, he's he like, well, what, you know, what's the, like, maybe we start next week? So I'm, I'm flying to San Francisco next week to work with Uber for a few days, but I think we'll do it the week after that, yeah. you know? And um, so I got a couple of uh, interesting um, li- uh, links from, uh, from our, on the blog. from Yeah, we got some
1: great comments about it. Yeah, Russia.
0: one was from um about this thing called this this card game yeah called robo rally, robot
1: rally uh, which is exactly I, what we were talking about
0: well yeah that was the idea you 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 threw out there it's from i, I, don't, I don't know if i can pronounce his name or jaco 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 jaco, J-A-C-O, J-A-C-O uh hamilton um at is his name and he uh, he he said that he and his family play robot Rally, rally yeah. So it's basically like you you program your robot. It's like a board game, but you give instructions to your robot, and your robot has to go down the path. You can imagine
1: it. But yeah. what I like about it is is you give the cards to the person, then you say kind of go. Everyone executes their the instructions of their card, So you're all kind of standing around. Move forward, stop. Move left, right. You know, walk extra paces. But you must you must carry out the instructions, even if it means crashing into each other. That right. sounds like a lot of fun, right? So it's right. basically – so you can't stop. You can't just stop doing it. You have to do it all exactly the same and smash into each other, and then it's all mayhem. Right. Yeah,
0: nice. That's kind of cool. I mean, so th- therefore we don't have to invent it again. Great, game. Exactly. It's actually done. So, Let's grab it. I mean, as I mentioned, in teaching the kids how to – teaching eight-year-olds how to program is going to be a little bit of a challenge, you know, because you, you don't have – as many analogies that you can draw from, things that they're going to be able to sort of leverage in their brain yeah. and saying, oh, it's just this. Yeah. So um, that's why the idea of like doing something like that is really, um, I think can be really helpful. And there was another article um, that uh, Matt S. Uh, submitted called, or you know, he wrote in a comment called How to Train Your Robot. Was a guy, and uh, and the guy was talking about how he was trying to teach, you know, young kids at a program, and it came up with the same idea I did with Colby when we were in the pool, which is like the kids would be uh, like a robot master, and their parent would be the robot. Yeah, and so they would give the robot instructions beforehand, so it would be like step four. You know, the idea was to go and pick up blocks and put them in somewhere, whatever. Which is like the same thing I was thinking of, which is kind of kind of funny. And he said that it really worked well, that even with like one thirty. Minute session, the kids were, were picking up things like uh, parameterization. So it's like I want it to take a step, but I want to do like five steps. How many steps do you want it to do? Um, the composition. They were it's the concept of composition. So I want them to do these two or three things, but I want them to five times. Yeah. Okay. The idea of abstraction. So it's the you know it's like creating like a function. Do this, which consists of doing these these yeah. five things and do it over and over again that's and awesome. uh and testing so they would do you know come up with a program have their parent do it and like oh no no that's not it so kind of unit
1: testing so <laughs> it all worked unit testing. <laughs> yeah yeah now what, what was also interesting was that um i think like three people said are you going to open source this
0: right um yeah i mean my my plan is to put everything up on a website and uh you know i i, I didn't have any, I have anything really thought out i mean i thought the idea is the vague ideas that I had were one that the kids would kind of have like a little project log. They would say like things that they're working on, things that they learned kind of just being able to explain what they did. Um, I thought it'd be kind of cool to share with other kids. Um, Also for their own purposes Just having a sort of a a notebook. Um, But just being able to describe what you did or how things work, I think helps solidify things in your head a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, we could put a blog up there. I could easily just write up like, this is what we did. And this is how well it worked, right? So that's lesson yeah, that's, one. Yeah. I did this, this, and this. This kind of worked. That's tried to do this, work. it in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, people can do whatever they want. You yeah. know, I mean, I mean, <clears throat> th- this is going to be experiment. I mean, you know, I have a lot of things that I think are true. I have things that I think could work. And I have things that I think might work. Yeah. And I'm just going to try them and see and, uh, and, and, and just see how it plays out. But, um, for anybody who's interested, yeah, I mean, we'll, you know, obviously we'll link to it on the, in our, and talk about it on the show so people know to go there if they want to check it out. But uh, I think I go on in in a couple of weeks. But I think with a with six to seven kids to start, it's not bad. That's kind of like when I started that little soccer training group I did a couple of years ago with Colby and his friends that started there, and it quickly got to 12 or 15. Um, you know, and, and some of those kids might do it for a while and then drop out, but other kids will be kind of pulled in, and you'll end up kind of solidifying around a group of kids that are really into it and whose parents are just or who are kind of supportive of it and want to do it.
1: So. well I'm I'm looking forward to uh helping teaching the programming on that.
0: Yeah, that'll be fun. I broke you into that you can do a little bit of now how do I explain to this eight-year-old what a uh, what a function is, <laughs> what a parameter is. You know, it really stretches your brain to try and like, yeah. how do I explain
1: this? Yeah. Because you
0: start realizing your explanation is containing terms that they don't that understand. That they don't
1: understand, yeah.
0: Or you're using you're speaking at a level that they're just not gonna be able to yeah. internalize. You have to and so it, it's a real challenge. You have to sit there and sort of, you have to spend some time thinking about like, how do I explain this and explain it succinctly? Because if you go into a long explanation, they're just going to get bored. They're going to get bored. Yeah. Their eyes glaze over and they just, whatever.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I, I've just uh, happened to have Hacker News open and I've just seen um, a story coming up, which is your brain can be hacked. It's mm-hmm. in um, Te- Technorati right now. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. Um Scientists from universities, uh, from the universities of Oxford, um, California, and Geneva, have shown that they can discover secrets such as passwords and PIN numbers using off the shelf technology like the gaming headset from Emotive. Um, basically, through scanning your brainwaves, they can hack your brain and work out your passwords.
0: Yeah, well, I think we talked about that before. I, mean, I read some articles about how, you know, you can, you can, um, I could say, they can say, imagine a chair. Yeah. And then a chair appears on the screen. Like they have these sort of like this sort of um, it's not a very high resolution chair. Yeah. You know, things like that. So it's like, you know, these sort of um, there's sort of these structures in your brain. These things that we imagine are actually have like a can be interpreted. They have a signature in some way. Yeah. I mean, I in the end, I think, you know, I'm, you know I don't think it's going to be that far off and it'll be start off and be very crude, but it'll get better and better. And, uh, you know, they'll be able to, you know, kind of mind read to some degree. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and probably from a distance, they can probably, you know, we'll probably be able to, you know, shoot some kind of radio waves or like at your head yeah, you know, from a the building across and be, able to be like, we can just see what this guy's thinking. And oh, my God. Do do.
1: Can you imagine that?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it's like we're talking about like, you know, what the NSA is doing with, uh, you know, they have those taps on like this 22, um, I think it's like 22 uh, hubs yeah. around the country. And they're just in that, that huge, that monstrosity of a building or building out in Bluffsdale, Utah to store basically everything they're sucking down off the internet. Yeah. I mean, they're sucking down all domestic communications or virtually all of it, all emails, everything, Skype. And Ten years ago, or even three years ago, you bring that up to someone, and people are like, "What? You're crazy! They're not doing that. They can't yeah. possibly." I'm talking to Phil about that, and he was highly like, skeptical. No way! Because a friend of his, you know, another kind of technology guy, was saying that he he thought they were doing that, and Phil was like, "I don't. That doesn't sound possible." And I said, "Well, actually, here's some articles on it. They're they're doing it. It's New York Times, right? I mean, it's not. You
1: don't want to believe it. You don't want to believe that your the people in charge would do something so dast so dastardly."
0: Yeah, you know, and it's it's, 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 it's a lot of it comes down to. Um, to money you know there 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 are companies out there that make a ton of money off selling technology and systems for this kind of stuff so it's like people who work in these you know work in the you know the military or the CIA or NSA or whatever and they go off and they start a company with a few other guys and then they go back and they they talk to their buddies, say, Hey, we got this great surveillance, surveillance system for stopping terrorists or for doing this or for doing that. And they get these big contracts and they use the money that they go on. They continue to lobby and push. And then, you know, these big, you know, you know, whether it's NSA or CIA or whatever, I mean, they, they have big budgets and the way government government works, it just grows larger. I mean, they just, people spend all the money they have in their budget so they can get a bigger budget next year. Yeah. Like, how do you, how do you, how do you get a bigger budget? You spend all your money. Mm-hmm. Like if you gave me a billion dollars and I said, well, I you know, we only spend 300 million of it. They're going to be like, well, why are we going to be an do 300? Yeah. Yeah. And then, and so I'm going to spend a billion. So next year I can get a billion five and I can have more power and I can do more cool things that I think I want to do and things just grow bigger. And, yeah. uh, and then if you have your ex buddies or people come to you and says, Hey, Jason, look, you know, I, we got this great company, this super cool technology and you know, we'll spend money on it. And, and then you go out and then you retire and you sit on their board
1: and. Yeah, there's a lot of that kind of stuff goes on. The same thing going. No, I totally agree. It's
0: not like there's five people in a room. It's like, how do we turn the U.S. into a surveillance state? It's just, it's just the net result of politicians who you get lobbied and accept donations, and then later have a revolving door, and they call that, and, and then they go and work for these companies or sit on their boards or be special advisors or consultants, or um. And it's uh, in in terms of national security and and surveillance stuff like that. So You know, the, the national security state. A lot of that is just um, demagoguery. I mean, it's like politicians talk about this, you know, this danger and that danger, and it gets people scared. And it's 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 the politics of fear, and it it works every time on a big on populations. They just you scare them and they vote
1: for you, like you know. So anyway, did you did you see the um, the Falcon framework for PHP?
0: Oh, is that like that super high speed? um php has like some c extension that makes it super fast yeah i
1: like that that's a that's a kind of novel idea so basically we, you know many people use cake or symphony or code igniter mm-hmm. um it's a framework like that but it's actually compiled into c and it's it's a, a loaded module inside php i thought that was interesting
0: have you uh are you gonna experiment with it
1: um, would you use it for Plugio? I,
0: <laughs> no, I'm not going to rewrite the whole of Plugio. Well, no, I mean you, you oh, it's not You It's not like a plug and play. Like you just, it's like a module you just stick in, and it just
1: utilizes that. Well, it it's a module, but it gives you you know you know your framework. I mean, it's you know your framework that you've written for Rapid yeah. right? Uh-huh. It's basically exactly like that. So you ha- so you use exactly the same code as you would use, but rather than um. Oh, so it's a framework. It's not just like it. No, just it's a just plug-in. a framework. That's all it is. It's just a framework. But it's but they've compiled it into PHP. Okay. So imagine you wrote your framework, but you compiled it as a PHP extension. I see. That's why it's faster. Okay. So they so they obviously every framework has slightly different ways of doing of, of doing things, right? So you'd have you know to to put it into Bloggie, I'd have to rewrite Bloggie with their framework.
0: Do They have any benchmarks on it? No. Not no, that they, they just say well, it's faster, ma- but ma- it's maybe it's like they much do. Faster? Sorry,
1: I, I I said no without thinking about that. Um, maybe they do. I don't know. But I thought it was interesting. It's interesting, but we don't know anything about it. Okay, there
0: you go. That's a good one. Okay. <laughs> no homework, but uh, it looks cool. Um, so Coursera is uh, introducing a, an honor code that uh, because people they th- they think in like their courses where they're um, based on essays. Sarah. Coursera. Oh, Coursera. Sarah. Kind of okay. Udacity. Yeah. Which is yeah. the online learning. Yeah. Uh, probably with a massively online learning. Um. Massively online courses—I can't remember—they call them—but um, I guess they're getting the sense that the certain number of people are cheating, which is yeah. not a big shock.
1: Uh oh. Well,
0: I guess it's the levels is not much higher—you uh, know—higher than you'd probably see in a on a university setting. You now they said that they they asked uh, they it's some poll like forty three percent of people admit to being cheated at some point in yeah. college or whatever. But, you know, I think it's much wider than that. I think um, especially when you – I remember there's a big thing up at the Air Force Academy years ago. Like there was massive scale, you know, large scale cheating going on. I think a lot of schools,
1: you know, So that what So what, what's their strategy to combat this?
0: Well, they're just doing honor code, like reminding people, like when they start, like you assert this is you, your work or this is your essay or whatever. I oh. think in the end, I think in the end what you really just have to have two people do is if people want to get credit for it, they have to go and take, a, take the final or the test under supervised conditions. I see. Which I think um, Udacity has been talking about. Uh, I think they've had some deal. I saw an interview with uh, Sebastian Thrun with um, an interview uh, with Jason, Jason Calacanis did with him. And uh, he said they made some deal with like, I don't know what company it was or series of companies was going to give them like 4,000 testing locations. Mm. So if you wanted to get a a credit in some course, you know, a certain type of certificate or sort a of verified certificate, you would go down and take the final while sitting in a sort of a proctored environment.
1: Uh, yeah. I've seen that because when Georgie went for her licensing exam, we went into a place like that. In, like Sylvan at, Learning Center kind Atlanta. of Atlanta. Yeah. yeah. It's just like some room and it's got all, it's got all these uh, cubicles and you go into a cubicle with the computer and they, they test for loads of different things. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, and I, I think that's easy enough, you know, and I yeah. think in the end, um, makes I think, sense. I think in the end that's better anyway. I think you know, having to sit through a course or pay for a course is less important than can you go and pass the test and, and certify that you have the knowledge that, you know, you should, that you're claiming to have, you know, so anyway, yeah, I that like that's a little kind of, kind of interesting. So what else we got here? You got any other topics? No, not too much. Um,
1: what, you want to call it a show? I'm trying to think. Let me see here. Let me see what I got.
0: I don't have as many links as... We've I've,
1: put in our time. We have? what? Has I've long- put in my time of having to uh, listen to you for... An hour and a half.
0: <laughs> Let's see. Well, what do you think about the Black Widow um, uh, article by Dustin Curtis? He's talking about how, you know, Twitter is essentially shutting off the developers. I mean, he's basically, basically Twitter grew early on in large part due to the effort of lots of developers building all these clients and stuff and bringing people into using Twitter Definitely. and being the early adopters. And now they're kind of screwing over the developers say, we don't need you anymore, which they don't. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't really care about the developers. Developers are high maintenance. You know, they're they're gonna extract value from the system without giving us the value that we think we know ne- we we need or we want. So they just they're kind of mainstream now. So but his his perspective his point, which I think was a pretty good one, was that the world changes, technology changes, and if you if the developers aren't gonna work on your system, they're gonna the next generation is gonna be invented by them. And they're if you don't have developers, then they're gonna be left in the dust, and you remember always. Those, you always saw this clip of um, Steve. I oh, was at uh, uh, Ballmer uh, for uh, Microsoft, the CEO of Microsoft. He would be jumping around, developers, developers, developers. You know, like you had to have the developers building applications on your platform, whether it's Windows yeah. or
1: Twitter. If you lose the developers, you're gonna lose the war. Yeah, exactly. They're screwed. That's the that's the problem. So what? So they they're in my opinion. Um, the way the way that they're moving, it, and it's all about the money, really, and of course it always is. But they're just trying to, they're just trying to maximise advertising. Mm-hmm. That's that's the whole thing. They're just trying to maximise advertising from right. every angle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why they couldn't. This is what this is what I don't actually understand. Why couldn't they have delivered just as much advertising, even if um, even if they had kept the developers in, even if they've kept it so that. Any developer could take their content. They just just make it a part of your terms and conditions that they have to show the ad. Why couldn't they have done that?
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. I mean, I I just think that bigger companies get kind of, uh, they get arrogant and they get lazy. You know, it becomes, they become, they become a little disconnected from their, from the, you know, things like the developers or power users. They just don't care anymore. And the people who started the company and built it up aren't there anymore. It's the, the professional management is in, and it's just about milking, you know, the revenue, making as much
1: money as possible. Do you think that, that something else is going to come up and just, like, chop the head off Facebook and uh, Twitter, or do you think that… Absolutely.
0: Of course. It always happens that it's way. Just,
1: it's just amount of time.
0: Well, you look back at the, uh, at the, at the, at the 90s, and, and, and you think… I mean, we can go back, you know, however far you want, and you see it over and over again, but Microsoft, the Wintel duopoly… I mean, the Apple was a joke. It was dead. I mean, they were worth less than the cash they had in the bank back in you know, the mid '90s or whenever
1: it was. What about Google? Do you think that could ever happen
0: to them? Sure, it can happen to everybody. It will happen to everybody eventually. Companies get big enough; it's kind of the innovator's dilemma, right? They they get big enough, they get lazy, they get stupid, they get bureaucratic. They just they just be, they become sort of ossified um, and with bureaucracy and political infighting and just. Um, resting on their laurels. And at some point, it, it just become disconnected with what's really going on. It's like how Microsoft almost missed the internet. You know, we remember the the infamous document from uh, or memo that Gates sent out, you know, back at some point. So we get to get on this. Like they almost missed it. And uh, you see a million, and there's, there's lots of articles about how Microsoft, there's some recent ones recently about how Microsoft screwed up and, they did a bunch of really dumb things and missed a bunch of stuff, and you know they had things. They had like a they had tablet and iPhone type of stuff, but they kind of, you know, they that was killed because of political infighting and you know people taking credit and wanting their stuff through. And you no, know, it just happens. A bigger organization, I think, it's big, large organizations of people eventually lose the culture that got them to where they
1: where they are. Think that will ever happen with any foo?
0: <laughs> I hope we have a problem that we get so big that. <laughs> I just like to get beyond two people. (laughs) You know, honestly, I just like to get it so that, uh, you know, it's making, you know, some kind of income that's, you know, worth our time. Yeah. You know, because right now we've, you know, we've spent, I mean, we would have to make a lot of money to overcome the amount of hours that we could have spent doing consulting work. I mean, we'd have to make many tens of thousands of dollars. Right. You know, not just not, and that doesn't include the money we put into just getting it up and running. So...
1: Well, and the money we've put into things like design and stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's just it's just gonna have to. So yeah, that's that's what I'm worried about. I don't, yeah. <laughs>
1: I don't uh, don't really think about
0: things like that too much. I think it's kind of a waste a waste of time. You know, one thing I want to th- uh, talk about a little bit about is the idea of uh, ownership of code. And I read this one article. I, c- I can't find the link to. it. I don't know if I have it here, but it was talking about how when when there's no ownership of code, how it kind of loses its quality. If there's nobody there as a the gatekeeper and says, this is not good enough. Yeah. And it's sort of like the Borg mentality things to kind of go to crap. And the guy was talking about how like when you compile the source for like a lot of these Linux distributions, how it's just like, God awful. Like mm-hmm. how, because there's so much patches and patches on patches and the same type of code is cut and pasted in tons of different places. And it's just, just, you know, bubble gum and paperclip together. And, um, you know, I'm not an Expert on this kind of stuff, and I'm just you know, this article that this guy had written, who's, I guess, some um, you know, has a lot of experience with that. And he's you know, he was he was sort of relating it to the uh, the cathedral in the on the bazaar, which is an article that was written in like 2001 about uh, you know, like the Linux movement and like the sort of open source having lots of eyes on code versus like you know, sort of like one company or one group of people saying this yeah. is the quality, this is what we're shooting for, and uh. I was thinking that on an individual basis. So like, I get, I care a lot about my code, not just how it works, but how it looks. Is it fully refactored? Is it clean? Is everything, you know, just down to, just to how a comment is written. Yeah. You know, how a variable is named or how a line is spaced out. Everything is important to me. And so like, I've written two, the two, <clears throat> the two or three big things that I wrote at Uber. One was the dispatching system. And now there's like three or four people working on it. So it's not just my code anymore. It's, it's uh, you know, kind of a group effort. Yeah. But when it becomes a group effort, you sort of lose, like, it's not mine anymore, right? Like, yeah. so And the one thing that I had was, was all mine up until just a couple of days ago was GodView, which is like their air traffic control system. Yeah. And I saw, I saw some, some pull requests from a couple, from a couple of different developers who added some stuff. And I was like, it really depressed me, <laughs> right? And I mean, was like, because it was my baby. Yeah. Like, I, I, because I, I view myself as a craftsman, right? This is something that I cared a lot about, that I put a lot of um, effort in, not only to looking and working in a certain way, but the code to be written in a certain way. And I'm not saying I'm sure their code is fine, right? I'm sure they're, they're smart guys. I'm sure they wrote good code. And, and, uh, but it's just sort of depressing to me. It's sort of like, you know, when you look back, you know, and, and, and you had individual craftsmen, blacksmiths, or, you know, tanners or whatever cobblers and they had their one shop and they took a lot of, had a lot of their personal ego and, 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 uh, and everything wrapped up in the quality of the work that they delivered for their clients, for yeah. their customers. But then they went on that work on assembly line and say, Oh, you, all you do is work on shoelaces or all you do is do this one thing. It's like, you don't care anymore. It's just, you know, and I think that's the same way with code. I think that companies Companies, it's better for a company if 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 developers and all employees are commodities, right? You're just on the assembly line. You're just a developer. You work on this thing, right? And anybody can work on it. But uh, it's not good for the developers so much because you just kind of lose this, the, the ownership. You lose the pride. It's not mine. I can't yeah. take credit for it. So yeah, you know. And I you know, there's not, I wish I had finished the article. written uh, article written by. Um, I'm blanking on his name. The guy who wrote, like, are you a uh, a liberal or conservative coder or something like that? And it had to do a lot with testing and things. But I also think of, like, the collectivist versus the individualist, you know, coder. And I'm much more a believer in sort of the the individualist approach where, you know, you write code so that it's it makes sense and it's well-written and people can understand it. But, you know, so that if you do stop working and you know, someone else coming in and, can read it and get it. But, um, and, and of course, there is a certain bushead factor that it's not, not going to be as good for the company if it's going to take someone else a couple weeks or whatever, a few days or whatever it takes to get up to speed on the code base. And if somebody had just worked, if 10 other people were working on it, so if you never showed up for work the next day, it didn't matter. Yeah. But I think ultimately that the overall quality of the code is going to be better when you have people who take pride in the components and the libraries or systems that they build, as opposed to just being part of the Borg and you just take a task and you just
1: work on some random part of the system. It's funny you should say that because the best code that I've ever seen and the best code that I've ever been involved in being created has been through paired programming. Mm-hmm. So it's been two people working on the code at the same time. So yeah, it's sort of a cross between individualist and um, shared so basically, because with because with two people, you you round off each other's corners, and weaknesses, you, yeah, yeah. And so basically, you'll create a great single code base, but um, but
0: you still have it's only two you, of you. So you can say we built
1: this. Yeah, we built this, but you still have some mind share. Mm-hmm. So so it's the ba- the bus factors too, right? So it's like how many people, you know, if if I walked out and got killed by a bus, mm-hmm. well then this other person's there, mm-hmm. right? So maybe that's maybe that's an approach to consider. Yeah,
0: I you know, I I just wonder about that. I I I think that for organizations. So like if we had um let's say Unifu became very successful and we kept wanting to extend and the technology and had hired a bunch of developers, I I might do with that. I might say there's no more and two people work on this. Yeah. That's their that's their thing. Yeah. You know. Um and uh I just think cuz what happens is is that you have all these people across code and it's like I don't even know what these people are doing. Like what does this code do? There's so many different – because even if people – even if you can get people to code with the same style conventions, you know, they name things in the same way or they space things a certain way, which, of course, that is always impossible. Eas- easier said than done. Everybody's still kind of adding in their little idiosyncrasies. But the problem is that people think differently. They solve problems differently. And they do things in a different kind of way. And so, you look at that and just like, I just don't get what he's doing here. Like, yeah. it's just really weird. But this is how their brain works. It's because your work – Differently. And so, your brand, your, the way you're doing stuff might come across as really weird and back ass word to them. Yeah. And it's not that anyone's wrong. They probably can both work. It's just a different way of approaching a problem. And so, when you have a code base or some subsystem and it's like five different ways of approaching a problem, and you just have this sort of weird mesh of things, and it's no, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't have a sort of coherence to it. It's like if you had five people writing a screenplay or something, it just doesn't have the same voice, it loses its voice. I don't know. That's my thought. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I know this is sort of a, there's this big sort of open source, you know, come to the open source, sort of this kumbaya, everybody hold hands, everybody commit, everybody, you know, uh, branches off and merges
1: code and stuff. But I'm not a real, you know, as you can tell from speaking, I I'm think not a real that buyer that. I, mean, that. I, I would agree that you need an owner. You need an owner. So I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. But I want to move on to another topic, which you mm-hmm. made me think of when you said that, which is something that I've been uh, experienced quite a few times. The ownership of code—what I thought you were going to talk about—is something different, which is that when you when you join a company or when you start a new project, a lot of times they'll make you sign IP things, yeah, like IP IP ownership things. That just that that always strikes me as being crazy because at what stage in the stack do you own the code or do they own the code? Like, what 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 exactly is the ownership here? I mean, like I, I was doing some work for a client recently, and. I was using some of my existing code, my, my framework and I refactored a part, you know, I refactored a part of my framework during that coding session with the client. I'm like, does the, does the client own this? Because, you know, I've basically signed something saying that whenever we work together, they own that thing, you know, all that's, that's what, what most people sign anyway. Like if I'm, if I'm working in idea lab, right. And I happen to use a bit of my framework to do some stuff for them. Mm -hmm. Do they own it? You know?
0: Wait. well usually you specify that in, 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 in the in the document. You see there's code that I may use that's pre existing that I still own, right? So, you know, but they might say it's like not they, they own it, but it's not exclusive for stuff that you brought. So it's like they have access, they can use it, distribute it, do whatever, but you can use stuff that you brought. But anything written but about, afterwards is owned by them.
1: But what about just open uh, you know, open source stuff on the internet? I mean, you grab that down, you put that into their project and then you mix it up in a certain way. Now they own that? I mean do they which you know if you refactor that open source library i mean
0: i don't know if you make changes to existing code the open source code what it's they just own.
1: It, I, I guess the point is is it's like there's there's this line between i own the code they own the code at what point where's the gradient where does the gradient happen and the whole thing just seems kind of it just seems silly to, that 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 it's so important to lock this down and to get this locked down for investors. I mean, if you went to a, a court of law and you actually looked through it, it'd be very difficult to say which parts were theirs and which parts were yours. And
0: Yeah, you yeah. Know. I'm sure there are edge cases where some consultant built something and then went off and built a competitor and, you know, to them. But that's usually pretty rare. And I don't know. I mean, I, see the thing is, the reality is you can't really um, enforce it very well. How do they know what code you're using? Well, right? Now, how would anyone know what you were using behind the scenes? No, no, no exactly. But and, at- and they and they can't they can't get a just because oh I think he's using our code they're not going to get a warrant a search warrant to look at your code base.
1: Uh, actually, so kind of silly. Just what you were saying there about telling people your idea. It reminded me of something. Um, I posted a tweet saying I'm working on something new. I'm going to try and get it done in two hours a day in the next couple of months. Someone someone t- tweeted back to me and said. You should tell everyone your idea. Have a look at this article on Rob Walling's website. And it's an article by Joel Gascoigne, the creator of Buffer. And basically, the article says, don't keep your idea to yourself. Tell everyone about your idea and, you know, just how how, um, how much that's made a difference for him. But what I thought was really interesting is, is that he's got Buffer, right? Mm-hmm. I, I've often wondered how, how much of my public discussion of Plugio... You know, impl- uh, influenced buffer, in- influence created, buffer. A, created a exactly. Uh, so, so if I'd have never mentioned anything and just had done, had been doing this in stealth, would would buffer have been less likely to to succeed? Um, well,
0: because they don't, you don't have to talk about your idea. They can just see what your company does and just go right. clone it. Yeah. You know, eventually you got to, if you have customers in your public and once you're public, then
1: people can just kind of clone your service. But they, but they, but they may not have been brought to their attention. I mean, I haven't, I have no idea whether, it, whether they, if they, they, they ever the listened to the podcast or, or they, a friend
0: of theirs listened and said, yeah. Hey, this guy's doing this
1: thing. It's kind of yeah. cool. Maybe you could do something. Better yeah, because, something. yeah, exactly. Because Vlogio is exactly. The, the the core tenant of Plugio was buffer back in two thousand and nine when it was right. first started.
0: Well, the whole idea thing about sharing your idea. I mean, obviously we've been talking about everybody's yeah. been talking about it for yes. years. It's not like did he finally arrived at that in two thousand and twelve. Well, I don't know. That's is- <laughs> that like a breakthrough. Well, hey, share your idea. Tell everybody. It's
1: like, dude, that's well, that that's a guest post on on Rob Rob's website. So you need to be nice.
0: I don't need to be nice. I just tell the truth. That is old news. It's like you were talking about you were gonna write a blog post like six months ago, and you're talking about like make small decisions and make yeah. small. And I was like, that thirty-seven singles have been talking about that since like two thousand four. Yeah, two thousand five. You can't write an article like that because everybody's gonna go, uh, prior art, uh, dude, like everybody's been, I mean, 37 Signals has been espousing that and, and interview after interview, blog post after blog post since 2005. So, yeah. and the whole idea of like, share your idea, don't hold it. I mean, that's, I, you could probably find 50 blog posts on that for the last, you know, eight years or 10 years. You're probably right. That's just silly. But, you know, see, a lot of people starting companies are, are, are young, right? Yeah. They're 22, 23, 24. they just out of college So they're just in the industry or they're just starting to do stuff. And so they, um, you know, they don't really have.
1: Yeah, don't have what?
0: (laughs) I can't talk if you're not. Oh, (laughs) no. Just finish this out and then. Okay, okay. right, yeah. So... they're just not aware of what's really going on. And so they're going through their own learning curve. They're not aware of prior art, prior discussion. And you hear that. A lot of things that we talk about now that we might think are our own unique ideas. I mean, people were talking about this stuff in the 70s. You know, it's like yeah. we go through our own process of discovery. But uh, one last thing I want to say, and then we call it a show, is I saw there was a, a buddy of mine, oh, um, Mark, who I've talked about before, he, had, um, he emailed me an article about freemium. You know, Freemium being dead. or Freemium still alive and kicking? I, and I can't remember because there's so many articles going back and forth. Yeah. And it was, a, it was a New York Times article. And then one of the people they interviewed quoted was uh, Rob Walling. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> I was like – because he was talking about um, how Freemium had worked or not worked so well. Had it, I basically had not well, worked well, for, because, for Hittail.
1: And that's funny because Rob Walling uh, also had – brought that up because he had Ruben from Bidsketch write that big blog post about that mm-hmm. you know freemium doesn't work freemium plans don't work or something like that
0: yeah yeah so um anyway I thought it was funny I'm like yeah that's kind of interesting and by the way I know Rob just, yeah, Rob's my buddy yeah, yeah so that was kind of funny but um, we have hot dogs together yeah right we have a barbecue <laughs> one month ago well I think we should call the a show man alright ready to I think we've, we've done enough yep we've done enough damage for one day alright that's a wrap we're out